Last night, we talked a little bit about this. There's a poll that was produced by the Southern Poverty Law Center and another organization they teamed up on it. In it, they find that young men of both political parties think feminism has done more harm than good. Hmm. And that's fascinating. I also thought it was interesting that this this, uh, this uh, study survey comes out around the same time as the Daily Wire's What is a Woman, where we're basically learning that a lot of these ideas are becoming extremely unpopular even among young Democrats. So today, we're going to talk a whole lot about modern feminism, where it's at, why young men feel this way. We're going to talk about the ideas presented in What is a Woman from the Daily Wire. We've got uh, the top psychologists talking about how half of their patients are trans kids. Hmm. And uh, we'll explore modern feminism and why people are so angry about it. And I want to talk about families because we've got this article talking about how it's time to have Tamagotchi children. That means they're, they're talking about young people who, who shouldn't have kids, probably because of climate change, should have robo AI children instead, which is just very, very creepy. But I think it'll be fun. So Friday night, we're going to talk about a lot of really important ideas. And joining us to discuss this is Dr. Chloe Carmichael. Hi. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. So I'm Dr. Chloe Carmichael, clinical psychologist and author of Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety, and Dr. Chloe's Ten Commandments of Dating. I was a yoga teacher before I was a psychologist, and I'm also a wife and a mom. Hmm. All right. Well, we have a clinical clinical psychologist to talk to us about what it means to be a woman and uh, all those other things. So thank you for joining. My pleasure. We got Seamus. Got another expert here. I'm a cartoonist. Um, so I run a YouTube channel called Freedom Tunes. We just uploaded a video. Like, was any of that? We just uploaded a video like uh, two days ago that, or yesterday that I think you guys will really enjoy. And uh, we've got a website, freedomtunes.com. If you want to become a member there, five bucks a month, you'll get extra cartoons every month and extra cartoon a week and then behind the scenes stuff as well. Hey guys, Ian Crossland in the house. What's up? Uh, I watched about 30 minutes of What is a Woman so far. I'm really excited to talk about <laughs> what I've 30. seen. Yeah, not yet. I, I, I <laughs> launched into it about 630. Mm. Um, and I want to talk to you a little bit about your book. Well, hopefully more than a little bit about your book, Chloe, because I, I wonder how to, how to harness that nervous energy myself sometimes. Maybe we can get down on that later. Sounds good. Yeah. And I am also here in the corner pushing buttons, trying to adjust all the volumes properly for all my guests. Thank you very much for joining us tonight, Chloe. I'm very excited to learn what a woman is. I did watch a documentary, but they were not big on answers. So we'll hopefully Well, Matt that. Walsh was. Yeah, he sure was. Also head over to TimCast.com. Become a member and help support our work. We have members-only segments Monday through Thursday at 11 p.m. And uh, we talked about this yesterday when Tyler Fisher, who was on the show, made the joke. I said, I would ask someone, what is an assault weapon? And he goes, that's the next documentary that The Daily Wire should do. And I said, no, we're, that's us. We're doing that. And so I'm talking with Forrest Cooper. Uh, he's been a guest on the show several times. He hit me up and he was like, yeah, no, for real, let's do it. I'm like, yes, we are going to do a documentary on gun control, gun rights, what is an assault weapon is the is the working title, I suppose. We're doing it. It's happening. And I think it's really fascinating, too, if you look back at the history of gun control legislation and things like that. So with your support, these are the kind of projects that we're going to be working on. So don't forget to smash that like button, subscribe to this channel, share the show with your friends. Let's jump into that first story. We got this one from the Daily Caller. Poll, young men of both political parties think feminism does more harm than good. Sounds, is- it sounds like toxic masculinity to me, Tim. You're right, except Republican women of all ages also really don't like it. Interesting. Ooh, well, but hold on. What is a Republican woman? Well, I suppose if we're talking about identities, a Republican woman is a Republican adult human female. Oh. Mm. Mm, sounds like but a Democrat logic. woman could be something totally different. Well, because now that, I mean, look, look, 
Obviously, we have wonderful progress in this era where a word can mean whatever you want it to mean instead of what it actually means. And so maybe it's the case, unfortunately, <laughs> that there's a negative side effect here where men are just saying that they're women, disguising themselves as women, and then telling these pollsters feminism is bad to make us think women oppose it. What if these are Democrat? What if these are Republican men who don't realize because they identify as Democrats oh, yeah. that they're not really Democrats? Ooh. I actually We're think, not really men. I actually think that's an argument they would entertain. They're like, <laughs> yeah. well, if a Democrat men says he hates feminism, he's actually a conservative. There you go. Yeah. So yeah, he's exactly. just wrongly identifying. My biggest problem with it is that the definition of feminism has changed over the years. There's actually four to five waves of feminism. My mother was raised, she raised me kind of as like a second wave feminist where it was about equality of opportunity for every person. Didn't really matter what your gender was. And that was basically it. It was never like talking down to men. It never was about making men. Because I, I used to ask it like as a question well, as a kid: Does that mean men are bad? Does it mean women are better? And she said, No, no. It's, all, it's about I, equality I of, of opportunity for these people. First wave feminism was the we should get to vote, right? No, yeah. Like we should have right. And second wave feminism was that no more firm, open palm slaps on the behind from men in the workplace kind of stuff. Like essentially, like equality in the workplace. You know, you, that that that. I don't know, 1950s era smoking, you know, guy smoking, like, come here, babe. <laughs> that stuff's out. The sexual revolution, I think, Being birth control. Being able to get credit cards and bank accounts, things like that in the 70s, 60s. That's fascinating, though. Tell mm-hmm. me about that. Well, it used to be that uh, women used to have a harder time with that kind of thing, um, you know, being able to get mortgages and bank accounts and things. So, you know, when, like, the Equal Rights Act and everything was able to help us with that. Well, so, but do you know why that was? Was it was it like men at banks were like, babe, you think I'm giving you a loan? Never going to happen. Get out of here. I, I think, I that, think that was the 20s, though, by the way. Didn't, yeah, in, in the 70s, really, they were yeah. hippies, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that it was, you know, just previously not illegal to discriminate against somebody mm-hmm. because of their sex. And so, you know, maybe for whatever reason, banks just said, you know, well, maybe as a woman, you're going to have a baby and not pay your loan back or whatever it was. For whatever reason, they just didn't tend to extend credit to women. I think, you know, it probably was. The woman would go in to get a credit card and they would say, and is your husband okay with this? And when they were like, my husband is, doesn't matter, they'd say, well, he pays the bills, doesn't he? So, you know, before women were as prominent in the workplace or in higher positions, they probably just said, you you have lower credit just inherently by not doing these jobs. Mm-hmm. Sure. Could be. Looking up well, this is, this is the kind of feminism that most people are like, yeah, that's cool. You know, like. You shouldn't discriminate on these ba- – like it should be your job. It should be your actual credit, not – you know, you got boobs, can't have a credit card. That seems like arbitrary. <laughs> the but Equal these, Pay these Act, that's from 1963, signed by Kennedy. I haven't looked too deeply into how it's uh, read, but the Equal Pay Act, it's a labor law, prohibits gender-based wage discrimination. I feel like that was made redundant by the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Could have been. Maybe yeah. a precursor to that. Yeah. So now, feminism, you know, prob- probably the reason young men don't like it is that modern feminism is is what, a catch-all term for basically all sorts of weird bigotry, discrimination, rage, mm-hmm. even violence. I think even from the get-go, though, when there were arguments to be made that women were being treated unfairly in certain respects, the feminist movement was still mostly pushing for the, so to speak, privileges men had rather than the responsibilities even at that time. So, for example, uh, women couldn't vote. They also couldn't be drafted. Part of why many women didn't want the right to vote at that time is because they thought it was going to come along with a duty to be drafted, which feminists at that time did not argue for while they were arguing for the vote. So you're saying women should be drafted? Well, no. My point is that I think part of the issue is even from the beginning when we're discussing legitimate issues, feminists were more or less. They were saying men and women are equal and should be treated equally in every respect. But then they would conveniently ignore the responsibilities men had, which women didn't, and not pursue equality there. 
Yeah, we're with rights come responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked it up to also just to clarify, it was 1974, the Equal Credit Opportunity Act uh, to prohibit credit discrimination on gender. Wow. Well, what's your what's your view? You're the, the clinical psychologist here. I'm curious what your thoughts are on modern feminism. Yeah, I mean, that's a, <laughs> such a loaded issue, right? Um, I mean, I think, Tim, that probably I kind of go with you in, in the sense that I'm obviously for equal rights for everybody. Um, but I think a lot of women actually kind of want the right to be more traditional, the, the right to be able to be respected as a woman, to be able to recognize that homemaking and housewifery and raising babies, that those things actually really matter. And, you know, girls getting kind of pushed into this stuff um, under the guise of girl power is sometimes not quite so empowering. Also, as a boy mom myself, meaning I'm a mom to a son, um, I, I think also some of this, you know, girl power stuff has actually gone a little bit too far to the point where it's hurting boys, which is actually also hurting girls, you know, to the point where girls don't want to date weak men. Mm-hmm. But that's unfortunately what some of this, like, over-the-top girl power stuff seems to be doing. You say it hurts it, boys. Like, what's an example of that that you've seen? Well, I mean, so if if we are praising and, and helping girls to the point where, for example, girls are outpacing boys when it comes to college graduation or graduate school. Girls are actually also paid more than boys now on average upon graduation from college. So, I mean, these are just um, a few examples, but obviously also boys' suicide rate is, is much higher um, and, and other types of problems. And so when we're, you know, just still, for whatever reason, still focusing on you know, more federal dollars to help girls in school when, in fact, it's boys who have a literacy crisis. Um, so anyway, all of the focus on girls, um, I think, is kind of um, a little bit superfluous at this point. Well, this sounds like really good news for young chads, right? If the average man is making less money than the women, they're basically out of the, out of the dating pool. And then the very small proportion of chad young millennial, you know, Gen Z men who are making all the money get all the women. You and you see What's the this, problem. Well, you see this all the time whenever there's some Twitter thread that goes viral about someone who's using Tinder and she finds a guy that she likes and she swipes on him and then finds out he's been talking to 20 other girls. It's like, well, that's because you swiped on like 99 guys, swiped on that one guy, and it was the same thing for all the other girls. So he yeah. just had a bunch of options. That's what ends up happening when the monogamous social standards break down. But also, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think it's very interesting because you'll have these nebulous campaigns about how girls are called bossy more often, which isn't really something we can test for, have statistics on, and yet we ignore the fact that I've, boys I've are put on... That. That's an argument, yeah, but it's, it, yeah, there it's was a whole bossy. campaign, ban bossy, right? And we were told that we should all kind of like hang our heads in shame because when girls are assertive, they're told they're bossy. And no one at the same time will talk about the fact that Boys are more likely to be prescribed ADHD medicine in school. They are literally chemically altered because our public educational system is failing them, and no one seems to consider it well, an issue. They also we're also chemically altering young girls with birth control. Yes, mass. agree. Yeah. And I well, I think that's a problem as well. Hormonal birth control causes I've, problems that no one's willing to acknowledge. I've never experienced a work environment where people have complained about a female who is bossy. Like I've never, I've heard the argument. These last few years have not been easy on our economy. And with tax season finally arriving, there will be millions of hardworking people and businesses that could struggle even more due to the IRS working against them and pocketing profits for themselves. America First Tax Group can help put an end to your worries. Just one phone call to 800-431-5684 and you'll be in touch with America First Tax Group, a full-service tax company that'll fight the IRS's predatory tactics and put you on the path to financial freedom. Their experts can help you or your business with any tax-related problems you may have, from dealing with your back taxes 
to granting you access to tax relief and much more. Don't wait. Get in touch with America First Tax Group today by calling 800-431-5684. That's 800-431-5684. Or visit AmericaFirstTaxGroup.com slash Tucker. Again, 800-431-5684 or AmericaFirstTaxGroup.com slash Tucker. But I've never been in an environment where I'm like at lunch and someone's like, man, that Janet's so bossy. I've just, it's never happened. I've heard people be like, my boss is a dick. And I'd be like, who's your boss? It's John. I'm like, oh. Hmm. Or, or like, it's who's Janet. Who? Or it's matter. Janet. Like, yeah. She's I don't like my boss. <laughs> Janet could be a that? dick too. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's just most people don't like their bosses. Mm-hmm. You know? I just, it's a, it's a weird thing that's like, I wonder if that is in itself sexism, these assumptions. Yeah. Well, the, no, the it assumption is. of victimhood, the assumption. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you something else, man. I was talking to this guy who produces documentaries and we were talking about this issue and he was like, he told me, he was like, my experience was that whenever we would have pitch meetings, the women in the meeting room would be giving us stupid ideas and then everyone would be getting really frustrated and annoyed with these really dumb ideas. And then she would complain that no one takes her opinion seriously because she's a woman. And we try to explain to her, no, it's because your ideas are dumb, but she took it to the female place instead of the bad at her job place. And you know what it was? Because she was brought into the room because she was a woman because they needed diversity. It's true. That can happen. And then also because women can sometimes be more sensitive to criticism, right? Mm-hmm. And, and if you do criticize that woman's ideas in the boardroom, then, you know, you can get this big reaction of like, you know, well, you know, you're, you're undermining me because I'm a woman or you're not taking me seriously because I'm a woman. And, you know, what they're doing, unfortunately, then is depriving themselves of the chance to have real, honest feedback and collaboration and even to, you know, engage and spar and develop and improve because they're bringing it all, you know, to being a woman. And so then nobody does comment. Nobody wants to say anything unless it's going to be really, you know, nicey nice. And then they wonder why nobody ultimately goes forward with those ideas. Yep. I yeah. think. When you have, when you have, uh, what's the quota filled roles? Mm. You're going to see a lot more of this where people who are minorities or women are going to feel like there's racism. I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's the goal. Maybe, maybe many of these activists want to create this by putting people who are unskilled in positions they're not qualified for Mm. so that they feel inadequate constantly. And then the person can come in and say, oh, that feeling? Racism. Well, we have to understand this is a very, very serious problem because whenever we talk about the idea of like marginalized communities, whether you're talking about, you know, the the alphabet people or you're you're talking about people who are, you know, minorities because of their ethnic group in this country – the most serious problem, I think, is the breakdown of the relationship between men and women, because that is the most fundamentally important social relationship that exists. Men and are supposed to open pickle jars that's and women right. have babies. <laughs> exactly. Those are the rules. Well, but no, I mean, we people will talk about like sexism, homophobia, etc. And I think with sexism, unfortunately, whenever there are issues that are addressed with the relationship between the sexes, it's always in one direction. The conversation can only ever be women are being treated unfairly and men are bad. And what's interesting about that is there's actually kind of a kernel of traditionalism and natural law in that because people recognize that it is the role of men to protect women and to care for women and to provide for them. And so it's sort of bizarre because we have this concoction where we're told that men and women are exactly equal, but also men still have to fulfill this traditional role of being the one who cares for her and protects her and who's tough and has a thick skin like remember mm-hmm. that amber heard tape where she's like tell him johnny tell him that you know that you were abused you know and and she's just like 
you know, going, see who believes you. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And then nobody mm. talks about toxic femininity, of course, mm, you know, but, but toxic masculinity <laughs> all the time is this big thing. So I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's just, it's so much more normalized and comfortable for people, whether it's at school or work or personal lives or whatever, to just trash talk men. Yeah. Well, well what, what is, well, let's talk about, can I? I just want to make a point about toxic masculinity. This is a term which they always fiend confusion over whenever anyone points out that it's offensive. It is clearly an intentionally provocative phrase. If you wanted to get authentically masculine men on board with your project, you would not label their bad behavior as a form of masculinity. You would say something like, well, actually, these men are behaving in an effeminate way when they treat women poorly because they're not being men who are protectors. Instead, they label it masculinity and go, well, why why would you be against us calling toxic masculinity it's like because you're attacking men in general well, and then claiming you're only attacking a small subsection so what is toxic feminine femininity well i mean yeah. so i don't mean to jump ahead of ourselves but i mean i did bring up amber heard right i mean huh. i you know so she's toxic when when she when we that. when we think about toxic masculinity they say that it's when you take um things that are traditionally masculine virtues like maybe toughness or competitiveness and you take them to a, a twisted extreme right and so with women, if you think about it, um, in, in, um, Spanish, they have something called Marianismo and it's the opposite of machismo. So I machismo is obviously, we all know what machismo is. Marianismo would be almost like the kind of a counterpart to that, which is where, you know, there's this, um, extreme reliance on, you know, kind of a, a victim role, right? Mm. And, with the Amber Heard thing as well, it was very interesting because from a criminal psychology standpoint, attractive women will always fare better in a courtroom than an unattractive woman unless it is shown that she used her attractiveness to in some way carry off the crime. And then her attractiveness will statistically turn against wow. her. Interesting. Right? So about toxic femininity then, that would be the case of a woman who uses her femininity, her, you know, beguiling feminine self in a way that, um, you know, twists and manipulates and deceives people. And I think part of why they will never acknowledge that is because to do so is to ha understand and acknowledge that there are certain benefits to being a woman. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of what we are seeing in modern in modern Western culture, the failures, are due to masculinity being gutted and, and purged, mm -hmm. which is creating this imbalance where a massive outgrowth of femininity becomes toxic and there's no strong men to rebalance so, like you mentioned, you all of a sudden have the oppression Olympics. Everyone has to be a victim. Toxic femininity is taking over. Absolutely. Even to the point where they have to make it up. And you know what? It's not good for the women either. I mean, I've sat with women in my office as a clinical psychologist that have expressed profound shame. Women, you know, that are in their mid-late 20s that say, you know, back in college, I cheated on my boyfriend and I felt really bad about it and I you know, kind of said it was date rape and, you know, I, and, and they, they, they realized, you know, years later that, that they basically ruined somebody's life. Um, but at the time, as soon as they even kind of utter the words, you know, well, I, he, he, he made me or whatever, then all of a sudden they activate this, you know, big support network around them. And I've actually also spoken for an organization called FACE, Families Advocating for Campus Equality. And they, they try to assist young men who are being what's called Title Nine at schools now, where it's, it's a verb, yeah, you know, yeah. that a woman can just say, oh, well, you know, he raped me or, you know, he harassed me. And in many cases, the man is actually removed from school, 
immediately while the school does some kind of a kangaroo court thing. So toxic femininity. This is why the Johnny Depp Amber Heard thing was such a big deal for a lot of people. I'm not going to say for everybody. For a lot of people, it was just celebrity gossip. But you had a guy who was accused and he won. Mm-hmm. All of this Me Too stuff was just like, you had Aziz Ansari. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. He, he had a bad date. And the one was like, it was terrible. So they tried to go after him. It's it's insane. That was insane because I remember the woman said, basically, like, I went to his house. I, you know, I think she said she went down on him. Then she gave <laughs> yeah. him a hand job. Or, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, and, and, and there there was no talk of him, like, forcing her to stay. I mean, again, like, I think she, like, of her own free will. She, she could, mentioned how he was, like, really nice and saying things like, you know, we don't have to or something like that. Yeah. And, I mean, this is why it actually hurts women. I mean, and on the surface of it, it looks like, oh, look, you know, women, women are wielding this incredible power. You know, but but the truth is, is that it actually hurts women. It it infantilizes women. It suggests that we're not actually capable of going out and having some drinks and making our own choices and you know being able to stand by them. It's it's actually hurting women. Right. I would I would argue part of what all of this comes from is our society's insistence upon oppressing the innate uh, or suppressing the innate understanding that sex is a special thing. So people think they can just go out and do it meaninglessly and then they regret it. But because the culture constantly signals to them that there's nothing wrong with doing that, they wonder, why do I feel bad about this experience? And I think one conclusion they could draw from it is there must have been some coercive element here. I must not have chosen this because I've regretted this. And I've actually seen people say, oh, yeah, no, if you regretted it, then it was coerced, which is an insane thing to say. I I will say the interesting thing about it is in modern culture – we associate hookups with regret. That mm. in TV shows and movies, it's like they wake up the next day like, oh, man. Then you also have the walk of shame. Mm-hmm. Of course. After yeah. someone hooks up in college and they're walking out of the dorm or, or the, the frat or sorority house, it's like a shameful thing. And I'm like, that's really weird for a, a society that's trying to tell people it's, it's, it's shameless. It's prideful. Mm. But then in every facet, people feel something negative about the experience. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting to me that they still feel shame. I still firmly <laughs> believe that shame holds a very important role in society and people just choose to ignore it. And one of the things I've constantly said is that every sex scene in every movie is completely unnecessary because our True. culture does not believe that sex means anything. What's the point of having sex? You're just doing a thing. Who cares? Are you deeply in love? Oh yeah, Probably I just, not. I just watched The Boys. <laughs> Sorry. The uh, I watched the first... Uh, episode? I think just the first episode. Uh, have, have you ever seen The Boys? No. The superhero show? Yeah. yeah. And in like the first 15 minutes, there's just like a ton of sex. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, it didn't do anything mm-hmm. for the story at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I was Never like, oh, I get it. Never does. It's like we're sitting here and they're like, you know. It does something for the guy who made the story. That's why he put it in there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Like there's like a scene that didn't even need to happen. It and happens I, all the time. Yeah, I know. I was like, what was, what was that? Name it. Even, even in films that like even in films where, you know, two people having sex was important to the plot, it's, you never need to show it. It's very interesting that they choose to so often. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's clear to me that they just want it to be borderline pornographic just to draw the eyes and the clicks or whatever because as far as I can tell, in this culture, sex means nothing, which is incredibly sad to me. But I, 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 think so there's a, I think there's a deeper question in, you know, why, why do humans have these hookups and then regret it in the morning? Mm-hmm. Why is that such a common thing that's... They still feel shame. Yeah, like why? Interesting. If you hook up with like a girl that's your friend that you're not attracted to when you're both drunk and then the next morning you're like, oh God, what have I done? I've changed the dynamic of my relationship. That's the only shame I've ever felt Mm. walking out of a girl's house. But every other time it's like, hell yeah. 
Well, so yeah. when when we drink, you know, it, it almost kind of, for lack of a better word, sort of disables our executive lobe, which is the part of ourselves that, you know, thinks about future consequences right. and things like that. <laughs> Nothing matters. And, you know, and also, of course, when in, when it's a hookup situation, you know, one person is usually kind of uh, pouring on the charm, right? So, you know, she's laughing at all of his jokes. He's telling her how good she looks, right? And they're both making a little bit of a concerted effort to, to get into each other's pants, right? So it's almost like they're kind of on a drug of euphoria in that moment. And then the next morning when, you know, reality sets in. Um, and Lydia, to your point about shame as well, just I want to back you up on that. There's a psychological healthy function of shame, which Absolutely. is to let us know when we have broken our own boundaries and broken our own standards there's actually a healthy sense of um, of when we've come up short that's that serves to guide us that we need to make right. a change there was a viral story at a college a poster was put up that said if you are both drunk the like if you're a man and you and the woman are drunk and you both hook up you raped her right which is so insulting to women you know what I mean? Because basically what that is saying is that I need a chaperone if I'm going to go out and have exactly. drinks. You know, like that's where that goes. It, it means that I'm not able to just choose anymore, like how much to drink and when I'm ready to go home with somebody. It, I mean, I'm married I'm, now, I'm, so I'm just speaking hypothetically. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure there was a story where, um, yeah, I, I vaguely remember this. I think Reason reported it. A man and a woman both got drunk and hooked up at a college, and the man immediately went to the school and reported her for raping him, and she got in trouble. Wow. And they were all freaking out. And there's like, that's the, that's the way the game works. Yeah. He was worried that she was going to go and report him. So he reported her first and then he wins because he reported him. her first. That's interesting. But yeah, I did want to say, I do think that the fact that a woman can't have a few drinks and maintain her bodily autonomy. When I started hearing about kids who are able to change their gender at the drop of a hat, I was like, this is so insulting that I can't go out and have a beer and then sleep. Not that I ever would. I would never. I never have. <laughs> now I'm married. So it's fine. But it's like. That you would have no bodily autonomy just by the mere act of drinking a few drinks is ridiculous to me. It's treating women like children. Let me pull up this story because I simply Googled it and I found it from I Reason. Male student accuses female student of sexual assault, says he wanted, re- says, uh, she says he wanted revenge. Title IX creates a prisoner's dilemma. Students have to file sexual misconduct complaints to avoid being the accused. This is actually really crazy. The gist of the story is that a male accuser, uh, in an unusual move, filed a Title IX complaint against her. The female students uh, filed a lawsuit. So this is an inversion of what we typically see where the male gets accused. I think this guy just knew what the game was. Good for him. He's like, she's going to falsely accuse me. Let's go for it. Exactly. It's kind of like what Seamus was saying as well about how this whole situation is eroding the male-female dynamic, right? Where there's almost like this, you know, race to see who's who's going to file on the other person first, you know, defensively. And this is for people who just, you know, made love. Look at this. Look at this. It says, so there's, uh, uh, what is it, Jane Roe and John Doe, because their names are blocked out. So the woman contends it was ridiculous to find her guilty of non-consexual sex because of, of the man's drunkness, but not find him guilty too, because she was also drunk. It doesn't matter. You made this game. No this is what, see, this is, this, this is why young men are like feminism is bad. Because this is what it results in. It's like you go into the bedroom, you hook up, and then as soon as you're done, you're both looking at each other, looking at the door, and then you're both running full speed go, trying go. to accuse each other of being the aggressor. Mm-hmm. That's completely insane. Well, I, yes. I, I don't, it's nuts. I, I don't, maybe I'm taking a different view of hookup culture. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of went through it in the 90s. No, well, more in 2000, early 2000s, late 90s. But I never really found it abhorrent or I had a problem with it. Like I would hook up with a girl, uh, we would both have a great time, and then that would be that. 
And then I would never really, if we would or wouldn't talk again after that. And it was just really fun. You know, sex is fun. It's like, why do you people snowboard? It's fun. It's exercise. Yeah, but snowboarding doesn't carry the risk with it of, like, creating another human life. And I shouldn't even call it a risk, right? Because creating a human life is a did. beautiful thing. But what if, like, I mean, you were snowboarding and when you got to the bottom of the mountain, you just had a baby? Then you know what? We would, have, we would have some very strong social stigmas around who you went snowboarding <laughs> with, right. probably, and how often you snowboarded <laughs> yeah. and whether you, having, whether you were snowboarding outside of marriage. Yeah. I think Dad, that's true. Dad, where do babies come from? <laughs> well, son, when a man and woman love each other, they go snowboarding. By the time they reach the bottom of the mountain. What about the people who ski? That's unnatural. <laughs> um, you are right. It's not a sport. Sex yeah. is not a sport, and it shouldn't be treated like that. I mean, I feel like the path we're on it will be. Yeah, like you're gonna have weird. It's a race to the court. Weird, yeah, yeah, it's bad. Well, right now it's it, it's a sprint. <laughs> it's like you're in college and you hook up. You both are like, right. well, uh, uh, that was great. I'm fun. I'm gonna go to bed, and then you like the guy starts like speed walking towards the the Title Nine office or whatever, and then he gets. Halfway, he like, he's like halfway there, and then all of a sudden down the end of the hallway, he sees the woman, and they just both bolt for the door, like, uh, running towards it. That's, that's where this is going. You got well, it. Oh, oh, sorry. No, 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 you go. Delineate between sex has the, the pregnancy aspect, mm-hmm. which is what, but mm-hmm. also the orgasm, which mm-hmm. is like, I mean, that's, you get better at it the more you do it, from my experience, and the more you study it. So, like, if, if someone's like, never will have sex only until they're about ready to have a baby, then they're missing out on the opportunity to, you know, give their partner an orgasm or fifty orgasms. Sh- or uh, uh, well, I Ian, would disagree. Did, did, did you know? Uh, you, I think I think you all might know this that women who uh, abstain from sex until marriage report greater satisfaction. Isn't that, that's yeah? I'm pretty it, sure. Correct, it, yes, and they're also the true? least likely to divorce. Yeah, right. It is true. It is true. And also, I just wanted to say, I know that you said you had a certain experience in college with sex that was different from this, you know, kind of um, race to the courtroom thing. (laughs) And I wanted to just mention that it was in 2014 that the Obama administration announced this new effort to combat sexual assault on campuses. And I think that's really when this whole thing of like Title Nining somebody and like, you know, young men, if they're accused that they have to be removed immediately, like while this kangaroo court situation happens. So if you were able to graduate from college before 2014, it might have been a different world. Back oh, yeah. Then. It was in 2001 is yeah. when I graduated. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I've sort of said this before. I've, you know, I'm, I'm a traditionalist. I wear that on my sleeve. But what the left often does is in the long run, after they've broken down the social boundaries, they try to imitate traditionalism, but in a much more convoluted way. And so what we see is, as it would be the case in the past, people uh, do get in trouble for having you know, sexually immoral encounters. But because we don't know how to label a consensual sexual encounter as immoral, people jump to it was assault. Now, obviously, yes, there are people who are genuinely assaulted and there should be resources for them. But it, it just happens to be the case that they have this entire infrastructure set up with these kangaroo courts, which, as we've described, will punish people for a crime that they did not commit. It will charge them not as someone who's fornicated, but as someone who has raped. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because also from a psychology perspective, we think about internal locus of control versus external locus of control. So internal is where I believe that I'm the one in the driver's seat in my life. I'm the one choosing if I have those drinks and sleep with that guy or whatever else. And the external locus of control is, you know, oh, well, it, it was the situation. It was the patriarchy. I was, you know, whatever. And as if the world is happening to us like the weather. And psychology studies have shown that people with an internal locus of control tend to, you know, be less vulnerable to things like anxiety and depression. It's a it's a factor of resilience to feel that you have self-efficacy and that you are in charge of your own decisions. So mm-hmm. I do think that this whole thing um, has not been good, you know, for women or for men when we 
start seeing that it's not just you, me, and the lamppost, you know, like just deciding what we're doing here, but that we think we, we start blaming all these social factors instead of just looking at our own behavior. I mean, Can that's I that's you? the culture war in a nutshell. Yeah. People yeah. being like, it's not my fault, I did it, it's patriarchy. Is that yes. like a result of psychoactives being introduced to young people that they now have less of an internal locus of control? They're they're seeing it happening? Well, I, I think that there's been this big movement, you know, to to, to de-shame women, right, for if, if they want to have sex and, you know, whatever they want to do, you know, girl power again, all of that kind of stuff. And so, therefore, if a woman does have regrettable sex, it, maybe within that framework, it wouldn't really be permissible for her to say, you know, I feel shame. I don't feel like that's good for me. I don't think I, I want to do that again, because then she'd have to look at herself and say that she wants to do something differently, which would go against the grain of this other narrative of saying women are just like men. You can go have sex all the time with a bunch of people and, and you'll be fine. Um, and so then because she she can't blame, her, you know, her own choices, then the only alternative is to start blaming other people. Hmm. Well, and there are no strong men yep. to stand up mm-hmm. and say enough. I mean, mm-hmm. there are, but they're all right wing now. I mean, even if they're not right wing, they're right wing. That's mm-hmm. what's happening. That's what they're Joe called. Joe Rogan is a right wing comedian, Apparently. I suppose. Because if, because if you have any kind mm-hmm. of masculinity, I mean, this is probably why they call Joe Rogan right wing. He's a meathead. He is a ripped MMA dude who goes bow hunting for elk. He's got left-wing politics, but that doesn't matter. Hmm. He's masculinity. Yeah, well, you need a dude that'll stand up and say enough, but also that will cry in feeling what she is feeling, like Jordan Peterson. So I think he's kind of the embodiment of the strong man right now, Peterson seems to be, although he's not a meathead, and I don't hmm. know what he benches. I, I think when we, when we had uh, we had Tyler Fisher on the other night, mm-hmm. and he said that he, he was raised by two dads. He said that he was very much you know woke and everything until he started listening to Jordan Peterson. And Jordan Peterson helped him get get his life in order. Love and I'm it. like, that's exactly why they fear right. Jordan Peterson so much. Teaching teaching young men personal responsibility. Teaching young men to be masculine. That is very dangerous for people who don't want that balance brought back to the force. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so I've said this before on the show. I honestly mostly b- blame men for feminism. I think the reason women are acting like men is because men are acting like children. And people will usurp the roles that are not being fulfilled by the people who are responsible for them in some sense. And so I think we're in a position where society has basically, as you've mentioned, put a lot of emphasis on areas where we think women might be falling behind relative to men. Whenever men are falling behind, that's never really considered a problem. And so now we have a system where women are actually able to um, contribute to the economy in the workforce in a way that a lot of men can't compete with within the romantic marketplace. And so, A, you have that, but then B, it's far outside of an economic issue. It's also an issue of virtue. Like men are not taught to see women as people who they should love and protect and care for. Think about what porn has done to men's brains. It has convinced them that women are objects for their own sexual pleasure and not human beings who they should love and in commune with and genuinely care for and protect. Well, to tie together what you were saying about women being told they shouldn't feel ashamed for sleeping with a bunch of men, it makes me angry to a certain degree, that women are told that they need to behave like men. You need to work, you need to fight, you need to do all of this stuff, you need to take action against people who take advantage of you. You don't actually need to do that. And the fact of the matter is that men and women view sex very differently. I understand that, I'm okay with that, I'm not fighting against that because it's a biological imperative. Women connect much more deeply than men with sex on a very emotional level because women tend to be more emotional. And that's okay. That's fine. That's wonderful. It's beautiful. Men are not the same. Picture this. 
You're driving on the open road, taking in the beautiful views this country offers. Then out of nowhere, you hear a noise and your car breaks down. While still frustrating, you feel protected because you have a plan through CarShield. CarShield has helped millions of drivers from having to pay back-breaking car repair costs. All you have to do is call before a breakdown. Plans can pay for expensive repairs on your out-of-warranty car, truck, or SUV. All for CarShield's low monthly rate that never goes up as long as you cover your car. With a plan through CarShield, you get protection on over 5,000 major parts and systems with just a visit to carshield.com slash carlson. I'm talking big money items like your transmission, engine, electronics, and so much more. CarShield is here to keep you moving forward and make car breakdowns and the repairs that follow just a tiny bump in the road. Go to carshield.com slash carlson. Protect yourself from the unprecedented rise in costs for parts and repairs. Visit now to save 20%. carshield.com slash carlson. That's carshield.com slash carlson. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Even on a neurochemical level, like women release a bunch of oxytocin. It's really, it's really crazy because did you know that the better the sex is, the more orgasms the woman has, the more oxytocin she releases. Right. Mm. So the more bonded she gets to the guy, the the better the sex is for her, which is awful, right? Because like, if you go out and you're going to have that one night stand, well, it it better be good, right? You're you're not doing it for relationship fulfillment, right? It's just a, you know, sex. And then you end up getting like really bonded to the person. Well, that that, that explains Mm -hmm. why uh, Mm -hmm. women who abstain from sex until marriage tend to report greater satisfaction. Of course. So I I read that. I'm not going to, I'm not saying I know for a fact, I don't have the evidence pulled up, but I'm, you know, that, that is the case. I, I and believe. for men, the more like orgasms and the more forceful orgasms that You're they spreading have. Spreading your seed. Fine, great. <laughs> and the more testosterone they get. Yeah. Their testosterone rises and rises, which makes them, you know, just more and more independent and all these other things. Right. So, I yes, wanna, it's really hard for women. I want to I want to ask you this, yeah. um Dr. Chloe. So I was thinking about dating apps, and we've talked about this on the show before. I was talking to this young guy, uh, and this was a few years ago. He was like twenty six and he was a virgin and hadn't had a girlfriend. And he was saying that it was basically impossible. And through the conversation, it was interesting. Basically, what he was saying was that, you know, all everyone dates through Tinder and other apps and stuff. So he's on there, but he can never get any responses. And I was like, interesting. I started reading some uh, data from uh, dating websites, and it looks like what may be happening in colleges. You have 20-year-old men and women. Let's just use an average age. They're all on Tinder. The 20-year-old man has no status has no wealth. He's in college. So when he reaches out to uh, a peer, a 20-year-old woman, and he says, want to hang out? She goes, sure. What did you have in mind? We can go to the, the, the courtyard and we can like talk. And she's like, that's cool. Then she swipes right on a 30-year-old guy who makes seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 a year. He's got a, got a nice car. He's got his own apartment. And he says, you want to hang out? And she goes, what do you want to do? And he says, we can drive to the lake, go see a movie, and then come back to my place. I've got drinks. And she goes, done. Yeah, even more, he doesn't just say you want to hang out. He says, would you like to go have dinner, right? Mm. You know, I feel like from the start, he's whining and dining a little more. So it feels to me that dating apps have expanded the dating pool so massively that young men no longer have a peer group in which they can find a mate. And higher status men now get access to basically every every available woman. So what we started seeing is, this was reported by the Washington Post, that I think a third of men under 29 were virgins. And, you know, unmarried as well, not dating. 
that that was, I think, four years ago. So it's probably gone up since then. Something is happening. I'm wondering if, if you, uh, you know, what your thought is uh, on dating apps and if you would agree with. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree with what you said about the numbers game and, you know, the fact that now that 20 year old woman is as well, she's going to be this like hot item, you know, if she's open to going out with 30 year old guys. Right. So she it, the, it really shifts the the dating dynamics. And then also, you know, I've, I've read something similar about the virginity rate, like amongst, you know, very young people. And I think it may also have to do with the proliferation of porn, you know, as Seamus was saying, I mean, to, to really get out there and like, you know, find somebody it's even for a one night stand, you know, it's, it's not easy, right? You have to take certain social risks. You have to put yourself out there. You have to deal with rejection. You know, there's so many hurdles that you have to clear. And if young men are able to get their appetites, you know, pretty much fully satisfied from the comfort of their own home for less money and less effort, I can see where they would have less motivation as well. And and then, as you said, if the dating app dynamics are making it even harder for them. Yeah. And and I think that's, that's absolutely correct. And it's not just that their need is satisfied in some sense. It, by virtue of what it is, you only have to think about yourself in, in your own pleasure and not another human being who you're involved with. And on top of that, it's very sad when you see how the dynamic has played out because men will point out the fact that women have all these options on these, uh, dating apps. The reality is most women want to find one man to be monogamous with and they're not able to do that because guess what the guy they're interested in because he's at the top of the dominance hierarchy so to speak (laughs) he's got a bunch of other women who are into him and he's messing around with all of them and he's not going to commit to any one of them so it's this 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 horrific like sexual hellscape where no one gets what's going to make them happy or or it's a revert to a primitive state where the alpha just gets all the women. Yeah, we need you a dating see, app called Genghis Khan, yeah. where the dude just goes on there and has, I mean, because that's basically it's, what's happening. It's just anyway. one guy, the guy who made the app, and only <laughs> women can sign up. Do you, do you, do you, I'm pretty sure what chimps do is like the chimps all beat the crap out of each other. And the chimp who wins bangs all the girls, all the women. You know, it's also interesting too with Prides of Lions when, um, like a, the, the males from a warring pride come and like defeat the males of another pride. The females of the defeated pride will immediately go sleep with the victorious males. Not loyal, yeah. man. Wow. You know, yeah. but I mean, also, Seamus, to your point about about them getting their needs satisfied, you, you kind of touched on something there that I, I think is important, too, which is that young men who are sexually inexperienced, you know, virgins, they might think that they're getting their needs satisfied in the sense that, like, that mm-hmm. they're seeing porn and they're having an orgasm. Check. <laughs> yeah. But, like, they don't know the pleasure of, like, being with a woman and you know, laughing together and, and the, the, the touch and the intimacy and the fun of it because they haven't experienced it. So they might think that they're getting satisfied, but they don't realize that they're not really getting it all. Yeah, and to be fair, I think a lot of them know and are very bitter about that. I think a lot of them know that they're not really getting a full authentic experience and that they are sort of being cynically exploited by the people who produce uh-huh. this kind of hideous stuff and that it's inhibiting their ability to have real relationships. When you, but Ian, you, when you have an orgasm with alone in your room you're losing a lot of fluid like there it goes but when you're with a woman you're introducing the fluid to them they're introducing the fluid to you and so you're getting something you're not just not just a net loss when you're with someone it's a trade and that's a very different feeling like um emotional or like chemical chemical experience uh correct correct me if i'm wrong but i think a better way i think i I think this may be more accurate there is like a, a, a the exchange is in what you smell 
that triggers certain, you know, blood flow and release of chemicals in the brain, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely things that you smell. But I mean, it's also even the, the sense of being held and squeezed and, you know, just felt and loved and, and kissed and, and known. I mean, there's just, there's a, there's an interpersonal component to sex. Of course. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. but isn't that insane that you should even have to say that? Like, confidence. Yeah. When, so stripped, confidence. When, when, when men and women smell each other, their blood flow increases, their like blood vessels dilate, chemicals get released in the well, brain. I think like it depends that. on how he smells. To yeah, be fair, for, sure. uh, for no, the woman, I think if he smells, well, well, no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> I was making a joke. No, no. So the point I'm making is that if the woman is attracted to the, attracted to the man, or if the man smells, like I'm not saying the smell makes the attraction or the attraction makes the smell, but there is a correlation between a man smelling good and a woman being attracted to him. Pheromones mm-hmm. at the so very least. There's a, that famous documentary series they did, The Science of Sex, where they had a bunch of dudes run on treadmills, took their shirts off and put them in jars, then had women come in and smell each shirt and rate whether it smelled good or bad. Mm-hmm. And it turns out the women who said the shirt smelled that some the, the women said some shirts smelled bad, they would be related to that man. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. They said, "Oh, this one smells good." They were not related. If it smelled bad, they they're like, "That was your brother." And she's like, "Oh, wow." I noticed like, also you didn't even need to see him to know it's not a mate for it's not a potential mate it's, it would be bad right and it's funny because I've known girls who like really complain about the way that their brothers smell mm-hmm. yeah right yeah. exactly and then th- I was reading that they tell women if they're going to get married to get off birth control yes because it negatively impacts their like recept like sensory reception to the man mm-hmm. and then when they stop taking the birth control they say. Stop taking it. Wait a few weeks. And if your man smells bad, you can't get married. Mm. I've noticed also about sexual intercourse is that it builds confidence. And I like the word confidence because it has the word confide. Like you're actually um, confidant. And you're you're basically interacting with another person in in this like really primal, primally evocative, you know, proactive manner. And you're able to make eye contact, for instance. And it's like the level of confidence that you get out of that is not even remotely – uh, they're in porn. It's nothing like that. Nothing. It's a completely other. It's basically having a friend, like a really good friend. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I could see where porn would almost be like the opposite, mm. right? Because like you know, you're you're sitting there and you're like either like paying some website or you know you're like basically doing something where you're validating to yourself almost the idea that 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 you can't get somebody or whatever mm-hmm. you know. So it's it's almost like invalidating. Mm-hmm. But it's also well, it's also it, it warps people's minds. The 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 the, the weird. The weird stuff on the internet is so yes. far outside of the realm of reality. It used to be like a dude would be like, I'd like to be in bed with that woman. Now it's a guy being like, I would love to swing from a ceiling fan while bungee jumping, you know, like just all the weird crazy. And it really fosters that, right? Because if you are in the context where you are married to a woman who you're having sex with, you love this person. You don't want to do anything to her that would be considered degrading. So if there is some intrusive thought or weird fantasy, you're not going to indulge it with pornography. First of all, there's no one there to check you. So there's no one there to be like, that's a weird thing to want. You can literally search whatever you want. And then people just, people are obsessed with novelty. And so they search for more and more deranged things. And when you look at the fact that erectile dysfunction rates have increased as much as they have, it's almost certainly attributable to the wide accessibility of pornographic materials, especially to boys who are still teenagers. I think, I think, I think Jordan Peterson talked about that, right? Like young, uh, maybe I'm wrong. But I was reading something where young men are watching this ridiculous, mm-hmm. you know, fake reality stuff, and then when it comes to the real world thing, they're like, "I don't, I don't know what this is." Exactly. But but I do want to I do want to say, look, man, I think if people want to be kinky and do stuff in the bedroom and be whatever they want to be or whatever, I got no issue with that. My my issue is when people start 
separating themselves from, from reality with weird stuff that's just like, like I said, like swinging from a ceiling fan while jumping out of a plane and then throwing the ceiling. Just like weird, that's not going to happen. I mean, I, I guess if you want to, if you're rich enough to make that happen and you want to bang someone while jumping out of a plane. There's I mean, a know, big whatever. difference between two people having sex where they're not looking at each other. They don't even know each other's, they don't care. It's just two bodies smashing together. The girl's in pain because it's like so hard. And, but, and then the situation where it's two people that are connecting to each other and they feel each other's bodies. They're not moving to hurt. They're not ignoring the other person while they're just pounding. And it's like, but the internet doesn't know how to, to, to differentiate between that. And so the kids see both and they don't know what's supposed to be good or bad. And then you get the warping effect. Kids shouldn't see it yeah, at all. all. There's another <laughs> argument. Average age now is 11 that oh, kids are awful. seeing porn. To, to Tim's point also about the, just what we call in a need for an increasing stimulation, right? So the first time maybe that you sit down and look at porn online, you're even just getting some adrenaline from that because, you know, you're doing something taboo. And so your body, because of the extra adrenaline, will actually sometimes have a more intense sexual experience. Like there have been some studies even that showed that people who just walked across a scary bridge that was really old and rickety, that they would rate people as more attractive than people who had just walked across a very safe bridge. So when people, you know, use porn to a certain degree, it's, it's almost like a drug. But then once you've seen the same stuff a million times, it become sort of ho-hum and so then people just need to keep doing as Tim was saying stuff that's you know even more and more bizarre to kind of keep up that sort of a hit and then there's the other factor which is that these sites make money by getting you to spend more time on it. And so they'll be popping up uh, stuff that you might never have even thought of. But there you are with your your body physiology all turned on to the point where you could look at a baked potato and think it was <laughs> and, sexy, and, right? And then, and, then, and then you end up with a guy in the hospital with a broken light bulb in his ass. Yeah, exactly. What, it's <laughs> like, exactly what, what were you thinking? Dude, it's like, I was on the internet. What? So, yeah. I mean, your studies of psychology, what is like a good tactic for people to maintain that adrenaline rush with their partner? Well, so I actually have an article about that. Um, it's called Don't uh, Have Chemistry with Nice Guys. Here's how to change that. <laughs> um, if anybody wants to um, email me through my website, I'll send you a copy of the blog if you can't find it. Um, but so what, what I suggest people do, like this is, it's kind of old fashioned, but like that's why people go to horror movies on dates. Cause yes. like it, it kind of like gets things going a little that's bit, right. you know, or do even going to like new places, new restaurants, that kind of thing. Um, escape rooms, anything that just gets your blood going and gets that, um, kind of excitement going, um, will kind of transfer onto the sex. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> I actually read that, um, when women are scared, they generate a stronger bond with the person they're on a date with. Yeah. Correct. They need to. And so there was a, I think it was a study about they, they, you know, monitored people on dates and the, and they had them walk across a rickety bridge and the women reported like higher bonding or satisfaction with their date when they were walking across a rickety bridge. It's really weird. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, trauma bonding, right? Is yeah. not, not a real phenomenon. I'm curious about this. Well, it's even just the increase in adrenaline, mm-hmm. right? So, so when you have more adrenaline going, you know, your, your heart is beating faster. You're getting a little sweaty. Um, it's, it's almost like the same as being turned on, you know? And so you're, you're just experiencing all of your physical sensations more intensely. And, but, and also you're, you're blocking out thoughts of anything else because your mind goes into this tunnel vision. Yeah. Fight or flight. Yeah. But I think I think even beyond the studies we've done on this stuff, there's the there's like the joke in in TV shows and movies where the guy stages a mugging to impress the date. <laughs> it's like that that we just knew that we knew that you go on a date with a woman and then if if the guy defends her, he looks tough. It's attractive. And then we do science. We're like, oh yeah, that actually happens. Or the girl stages a damsel in distress moment, <laughs> and yeah. you know the man comes to her rescue. Yeah. Are there dietary things that can improve <laughs> adrenaline? 
I I don't know about that. I don't know. So the interesting thing is the, the, the relationship dynamics are changing so dramatically now that femininity is sort of being washed away. We have this story that we've talked about quite a bit, actually. I mean, we've done multiple segments on it, but I want to bring it up so that we can talk about it with you, Dr. Chloe. The New York Post writes, women are struggling to find men who make as much money as they do. And so they talk about these women uh, who are like, you know, a 30-year-old who's a 38-year-old making $50,000 a year or something, and she can't find a man. And, you know, when I first talked about this, boy, did every feminist lose their mind. They were like, Tim Pool, how dare you? And I said, here's my assessment. If you're a 38-year-old man and you're making $50,000 a year, why would you want to date a 38-year-old woman who's making $50,000 a year when you can date a 28-year-old woman who's making less and you can provide and actually feel uh, appreciated? Like, it's, it's this older guy. He's going to date a younger woman because he has the money to do so. It feels good for him because she appreciates what he's able to give to her, and he feels like he's able to give something. But dating a woman of the same age, he's not offering anything. It doesn't feel good. And why would she want to date someone who's not a provider? So ultimately what ends up happening is guys like dating younger women. So older women who are career women are going to have a harder time. Yes, they do. They do. I mean, I can just... From my own practice, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing, you know, and, and women, I, I'm not saying this to be against women. I'm actually really saying it in sympathy with women that women who, who do get older will say that it becomes harder and harder for them to date. Yeah. Because for a variety of reasons, whether it's, um, the fact that more of their age peers are married or that maybe their age peers are hoping to have kids. And so they're trying to date a younger woman so that they have time to do that. You know, I think that's why a lot of women are freezing their eggs. I, I think women would, um, they need to pay attention to the Leonardo DiCaprio principle. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I mean it. No, I know yeah. what you're talking about. Well, would you want to explain what, what Leonardo DiCaprio does? Leonardo DiCaprio, regardless of his age, <laughs> dates <laughs> women right. who are in their early 20s. Ooh, yeah, and girl. only up to a certain age. That's and right. then like every woman's like 25 and then he breaks up with her at right. 25. Yeah. So here's my point. <laughs> what are you saying? No, I saw a headline. It was like, this is on Twitter. It was pretty funny. It's like, Leonardo DiCaprio's exes, where are they now? And the, the top reply was probably in their late 20s. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So here's why I say this. 25-year-old man, he's going to date a 22-year-old woman. 35-year-old man, he's going to date a 22-year-old woman. 45-year-old man, he's going to date a 22-year-old woman. You see these, these old men, you know, and they're like 70, and they're wealthy, and they're dating 20-year-old women. So as women get older, no matter what they could provide, it's, it, let, let's say you're 40 and you don't make that much money and you're hoping to find some, maybe, maybe you'll find someone older because they want younger. The, the rich guy can still get the 20 year old woman. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not saying it should be that way, but the reality is if a man at no matter what age, I mean, we've seen 80 year old men with 20 something year old women, like you're robbing the cradle and it's like, I don't care. I'm old and I'm going to die. And she's like, and then he doesn't get his money. That they 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 like it, so the problem there is there's a certain point for women where no matter how old the guy is, if he has resources, he will go for the twenty thirty year old woman. Right, and you know it kind of takes me back to the article that you mentioned when we started the poll, showing that you know younger 
uh, men thought feminism had done more harm than good, but that uh, that was less true of a belief for for young women to have. And I couldn't help but think about the fact that yeah, that's that's young women that mm. that they're currently saying, oh yeah, the world is just telling me that I can have it all, I can do this, I can do that, and the everything else. Why wouldn't they like that message, right? But when we start talking about the older women who are then saying, yeah, okay, so I spent my 20s climbing the career ladder and not having kids and how, how is this feminism really necessarily helped me so much? I would be curious about women, you know, that are in their 30s for that poll. The interesting Very thing about point. all of these polls that take a look at feminism and dating and stuff is that they don't understand the difference in generations. So when they say, did you know that women on average make 17% or, you know, 23% less than men? It's like, are you talking about all age groups or are you factoring in only Gen X and below? Because if you do that, then all of a sudden you realize women make more than men. The problem is, it's very simple. In the 60s and 70s, women didn't work the same jobs as men. They didn't make as much money. Now they're, they're, they're growing up. There is a disparity in the boomer generation. There was a disparity in the silent generation. The disparity is mostly going away. But the narrative persists. I mean, the narrative of the pay gap is wrong for a million and one reasons. But what's happened now is it's inverted. Young women are more likely to graduate college, more likely to go to college, more more likely to get higher paying jobs than their male counterparts. But because we lump in boomers with millennials in the same stats, it presents this narrative of female victimhood. When boomers are long gone, it is going to be inverted and women will make more than men. Well, also, it's interesting that it's considered victimhood, right? Because what is necessarily wrong with women choosing not to work as much or choosing to work fewer hours or just choosing not to work at all because they want to have a family? Why is that seen as like some horrible form of oppression when they're making that choice for themselves? You know, feminists will often make the argument that they just want women to be able to make their own choices. They're not here to try to force a specific social order under the greater whole, uh, under the greater whole of society. But... All of the decisions women make that they complain about happen to be the more traditional ones. So it's clear that they're not interested in letting women make their own choices. They have a specific set of of standards they think women should be living by for them. Who's they that said that? Feminists. I mean, that's feminism. Every single time they complain about a disparity between men and women, it's a disparity uh, which is an indicator that women are behaving more traditionally or taking on a more traditionally feminine gender role. You know what I think it is? I think it is social pressures beget social pressures. Mm. I think that there was a genuine issue with, the, with equal opportunity. Women complained about it. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu slash visit. So then people said, let's do a big PR campaign and tell women they can be equal. This created social pressure among women to be those fighting for equality because that was the social cause. The social cause is speeding up. It's going faster and faster. This is why I think young men don't like modern feminism because women are chasing. I shouldn't say women necessarily, but the, the feminine is chasing after social acceptance 
in a rapid degree, regardless of what that outcome is. It's also financial gives you uh, like an air of independence because if a man and a woman were dating and the girl and the guy has all the money, he's got a job, she doesn't. And she's like, I want to eat uh, rabbit tonight. And the guy's like, well, I'm paying for it, so we're eating pizza. But I think the problem is not that she doesn't have money. The problem is she's dating an asshole, if that's the case. <laughs> Maybe. But after then, they're like, okay, let's get married and it can be our money. And the guy's like, you know what? I'm the one making our money, so we're eating pizza. So that's to, a horrible to, husband. To yeah. go back to the point I was trying to make is, maybe she should get a job. The, the point I, I was trying know. to make is that women feel pressured to do things they're seeing on social media or in the news because they think that's what they have to do to be accepted, to be acceptable. So they're adopting certain behaviors. They're uh, putting on certain messages. They're holding up certain signs because they all just chase after each other's message. Well, there's no one to tell them like, hey, that's that's too I much. I mean, women and girls are more vulnerable to what's called social contagion, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why like, for example, like in the 80s, like it seemed like every woman like had an eating disorder or, you know, or like there's just certain things that can suddenly crop up, right? And I think that sometimes that can happen for, for women and girls as well when we get bombarded with this messaging, you know, that we're supposed to, you know, do certain things in, in career and that we can't even talk about, you know, wanting something different, like from the psychology side. Also, uh, psychology studies have shown that people on the left are um, more collectivist and people on the right politically tend to be more individualist. Mm. Right. And so one of the both both sides have their extremes, which can be, you know, not so good. But when it comes to collectivism, one of the things that can happen is that you can get attached to the narrative of the group, right? And there's, you know, groupthink to the point where you don't even feel comfortable stepping out of the narrative. That's why it does feel so insanely controversial for young women to say, you know, I, I'm not sure that I, I want to be a l- partner at a law firm, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, that's a very good point. You know, you made this point earlier where you said you'd be curious to know how women would respond to being asked the question of whether feminism was a net positive once they're in their 30s or older. I think another thing we have to consider is whether we should just be asking women about these specific results of feminism and asking them whether they're happy with that. Because if you just use the term, oftentimes I think what people are going to do is look at what they think that movement intends and not necessarily what its results are. So if you ask women questions like, are you happy with the fact that it's more difficult for you to find a man who makes as much money as you. Are you happy with the fact that it's harder for you to start a family? I mean, almost all of them would say no. I thought, Chloe, what you said about the left being more collectivist, the right being more individualist or independent, I guess, individualist, the extreme of the right, individualism would be like what I was saying earlier. The guy and the girl are in a relationship. The guy makes more money, and he's like, so he, I'm going to decide what we do because I'm the one bringing the money, and the money is what's going to get the thing. And that's like the, the – so – that's the the extreme of the individualism. That's that's I disagree. How so? Well, I don't necessarily disagree. I just want to say that what likely would occur is the woman saying, "I'm breaking up with you. I'm leaving." Right? Women have a choice, and if the man is is too in one direction, then it just breaks apart. So maybe, maybe actually say I should say I agree with you. That degree of individualism would probably break the. Yeah, yeah. That's the extreme gone too yeah. far. Or the extreme, I was gonna what what, what, what I wanted to say though is that I think the extreme of individualism would be the man beating the woman. Jeez, God. I mean, that's the extreme. Well, he clearly doesn't, at that point, care so little for her well-being, he causes her harm, right? So I'm thinking about, like, prenuptials. Do you, as I guess through your psychology, do you think prenuptials are I, – I feel like prenuptials should be written into marriage without even, like, the option personally. But what do you think about those? I don't have a prenup personally. So, you know, I mean, I, I think it's, it's going to be different for each person. Um, but, no, I mean, I, I, I just personally uh, – view marriage as, as a as the kind of commitment that you make 
without um, having, without needing or wanting to have like kind of a, if we break up plan, because the plan is no matter what happens, we're not breaking up. However, um, I, I am a, I'm an individualist and I totally get that every marriage is different. And if other people say that they just feel better with a prenup, I don't, I don't have any problem with that. I, I gotta say, if you think you need a prenup, you should not get married. Don't get married. Yeah. yeah. Don't, don't do uh, but it. But that's why I think they should be written in without you having to think about no, it. No, 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 no. I disagree. I disagree. Why would getting married to someone mean that all of your wealth from the last 40 years of my life would, would now be gone if, so, if she decided to leave me? That's insane. Because marriage is till death do us part. If you're trying to date someone, you don't need a prenup. And if you're pledging your life to another person, you shouldn't need one. And if you do... Maybe you should reconsider pledging well, your life. Maybe the issue is no fault divorce then, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Like, yes. so I, I can understand kind of like what you both are saying. Like, and, and I as well, like I, I don't have a prenup. I, I wouldn't want to be, you know, enter into marriage that way. But I can also understand where, you know, for, for a man or a woman that had built up a lot of wealth and we're now getting into this, you know, legal contract that's, um, you know, supposed to represent a spiritual commitment, but then we're making it a legal contract. And part of that legal contract isn't structured around a lifelong agreement like it used to be because we got rid of no, uh, because now we have no fault divorce. So I can, I can understand getting rid of no fault mm-hmm. divorce. I yeah. agree. Yeah. Well, and I think also, and, the, and sorry, just, no, 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 the, the, the courts are heavily biased in favor of women mm-hmm. yeah. to a, yeah. to an insane degree, especially with children oh. and. Well, you know, it's funny because we live in this culture where no fault divorce is the law of the land. And people will say things like, well, look how often marriage ends in divorce. How could you ever be in favor of social structures which disincentivize that or would, you know, dissuade people from getting divorced? But I think what people often miss is if young folks know they're in an environment where divorce is not an option, I firmly believe they're going to be more careful about who they choose to marry. And I think also people are going to be more careful about their decision-making in general when it comes to sexuality. A lot of people will start sleeping with someone, and as you've mentioned, that releases oxytocin and other hormones that bond you. And there are a lot of couples that end up together because they're sexually engaging with one another and they're bonding, but they're not actually really good for each other. And then at some point in the marriage, when the novelty of that person wears off, they get divorced. So I think it's not just that we have no-fault divorce in people who would otherwise be staying married or getting divorced. I think they're actually making poor choices about who they end up marrying because of the current status quo. A starter marriage. It's like a a phrase. It's horrifying. (laughs) It's horrifying. What's that, like training wheels? I don't know. It's just, it's something I've heard young women talk about is like a start of marriage or it's even worse, but I've heard young women say like, you know, first marriage is for money, second marriage is for love. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I know. I know. And, exactly. and, and this, just, this is, this is, this, this is, this is ruining relationships. It's, uh, we were talking about this the other day that, uh, we, we're citing Jordan Peterson so often in this, yes. but he was saying something that after 35, you better have a family because that's when things start to break down. That, that's what the convert, were, were you, you were that, right? Or no? No, no, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. When what things start to break down? When you start to, you're going to be lonely. You're going to have no friends. Like if you don't start a family around 35, you're going to be. Yeah. Left this out. is colloquially called the wall. And I'm sure you've heard of it if you've been a denizen of the internet for any length of time. All women supposedly hit a wall when they're about 35. And if you don't have a family, you are going to be lonely and you're going to have a problem. You're not going to be able to find a good date. It doesn't matter how much money you make because that's not what men look for in a spouse. Mm-hmm. I do think that there are exceptions to that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree with you for the most part. And, you know, for me as a psychologist, again, I, I've sat with women, you know, going through some really rough times, you know, in those situations. But 
There are also women that just, they never want to get married. They never want to have kids. They have almost like, and I mean this in a, in a loving, fond way. They have a, a Peter Pan type of existence. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they just want to have their dog. They want to go to brunch. They, they make a lot of money and, and they're, they're quite happy. They, they don't want to give of themselves in the way that it, it takes to right. be, to be a wife, to be a mom. So I, I, I don't want to, you know, deny that there are women for whom that actually works out. Do you think that's a chemical imbalance or is that just natural? I don't, I don't think it's a chemical imbalance. You know, I, I, I don't know what it is, but, um, I just wanted to, to just make, make room for the fact that it, while I do think it's true what Tim said for the most part, and that's definitely the majority of what I see as a psychologist, but there are women <laughs> that just maybe, do their own thing. Maybe we would just be better off if, I don't know, you know, women had to wear red dresses and bonnets. It's funny because, you know, you, so you've sort of mentioned that being the to the rule and Lydia brought up this idea of the wall part of what's so unfortunate and really stultifying the discourse on basically everything is that people confuse making like a prescriptive claim and a descriptive claim so by Lydia mentioning that there does seem to be this point at which it's going to be significantly more difficult for a woman to find a partner that she's saying that that's good and so because of that people are just reluctant to say that to young women they're reluctant to share the truth with them about what could possibly await them if they don't get married before a certain point of time. And I think that's really horrendous. I think that's a really horrible thing to do to young women. You should tell them the realistic possibilities for their life instead of trying to claim everyone can do everything and then having them end up miserable because they had completely unrealistic expectations because of you. My prediction is millennial women will not admit it. This single millennial women, they're chasing their careers. Many of them are probably doing it due to, due to social pressures. Many of them are doing it because they really want to do it. And for that, I nothing but respect. Of the women who are not being honest with themselves and are more concerned about social pressures than what they truly would want, maybe a family, I don't think they'll admit it. They'll be 40 and they'll say, nope, life's great. I've never been happier. Young women will see it. They'll be 45. I love my life. I'm single and I'm living it up in the big city. They're going to be 55. And they're going to say, you know, well, it has its charm. They're going to be 60 and they're going to go to the young people and say, I've made a terrible mistake. Don't make the same mistake mm-hmm. I did. Yep. But by that point, there's going to be a generation or two that believed the lies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you guys think that there's such thing as a soulmate? No. I've wondered this because I think that being in the wrong relationship is worse than being single, personally, mm, from yes. my personal experience. Agreed. Yes. And so yeah. I was looking for the soulmate. I spent mm. decades alone, lonely, you know, and uh, I don't know. I don't think personally, I, I just can't. I think a lot of people might be waiting for the one, and, and that's I wanna, a, maybe a mistake. I want to, I want to, I want to give the gist of that famous uh, joke uh, that I've told before. Uh, there's, it's, it's, you know, you know the joke about the guy in the flood and he prays to the Lord for, yes. for, for a savior. Yeah. So uh, I love this one, this one so much. It's good. There's a flood. The guy's in his house, and he's it, the, the news comes on and says evacuate now, and so he prays, dear Lord, you know I've been a faithful servant. Please save me from this flood. All of a sudden, a car pulls up, and they jump out, and they say, quick, get in. We're getting out of here, but the flood gets too bad. And he goes, no, no, I'm not going. The Lord will save me. And they're like, you have to come with us, and he refuses. After a few hours, the waters have risen so high, he's reached the second floor of his house. And then once again, he prays, oh, Lord, save me. I've been a you know faithful servant. And a boat pulls up to the window, and they're like, quick, get in. We're getting out of here. <laughs> and the guy says, no, no, the Lord will save me. The waters keep rising, so he climbs out the window, goes on the roof. And then he says, please, please, Lord, don't let me die. Then a helicopter comes and they're like, they throw a rope down, a rope ladder down, quick, climb the rope ladder. And he goes, no, the Lord will save me. <laughs> and then they're like, you have to. And the helicopter leaves because he won't do it. And the floodwaters rise up and he dies. 
when he makes his way up to heaven, he's, you know, before God. And he says, I don't understand. I was, I was a faithful servant. I did everything. And you let me die. And he goes, I sent you a car, a boat, and a helicopter. <laughs> but the reason I tell that joke now is I think for you, Ian, you're saying you, you, you were single for so long because you're trying to find the soulmate. Perhaps you've already met them and you just thought it was going to be something more than it really mm. was. You assumed the soulmate would come down with wings floating down before you when it was just some, you know, I don't know, regular looking person who was like, what up? I thought that the soulmate was going to make me better. But what I realized was I make myself better. And so she comes. She arrives, you know, however you want. The field of dreams approach. Hmm. If you build it, they will come. (laughs) You build yourself up. I'm curious what you think of the idea of soulmates as a psychologist. Yeah, I I don't really believe in that uh, so much, you know. But, um, but, Ian, I I do think that there's something to be said, you know, for, as you said, just focusing on yourself and, and trying to attract the right person. I think that our instant gratification society, whether it be, you know, always the opportunity to, you know, swipe right and, you know, see more and, and constantly compare, it actually makes it harder to really fix on somebody and, you know, settle down on somebody. Like there've even been studies that have shown whether, when it comes to like buying peanut butter, for example, if you put a customer in an aisle with 40 different jars of peanut butter, they just won't buy one. <laughs> like they're just like, geez, you know, do, do, do I want the crunchy or do I want the organic or do I want that? You know, they, they go on and on. And I think the same thing can happen like with dating that we just feel like we have too many choices and it's hard to make one. There, there was a, I love these studies where the study is, is uh, a trick. They had people fill out a survey and in exchange, you get a free t-shirt. The study was actually the t-shirt. Mm. So these people fill out a form and they, and then with one group, they said, you get a free green t-shirt. Then with the other group, they said, you get your choice between red, green, or blue. The, the people that after that, they were then asked how they felt about the, the gift. The people who were given a choice were rated it more negatively than those who weren't. The people who got a free shirt were like, cool, free shirt. The people who got the choice said, I made the wrong choice. I should have taken the blue one. Mm-hmm. So arranged marriage. Well, yeah. I yeah. arranged yeah. marriage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have clients that have arranged marriages, believe it or not. How does that work? It's, 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 I was, I was surprised to see that it is not you know, like something that I, I thought would never happen, you know, but, uh, my, my practice is in New York and I'm not really seeing clients as much actively now as I used to in the past. But I mean, there's actually a lot of people from cultures where their parents are arranging marriages and it's not as bad as it sounds. Like, their parents are not like forcing them to get married to anybody. It's more like their parents are just like lining up first dates for them essentially. And I, some of some of the clients that I would have that didn't have that happening for them, they would be like, I kind of wish my parents would do that for me (laughs) because it it tends to happen. Obviously not with all, but like in, in the Jewish communities and with the um, people who have come from India, they, they tend to have that happen more often, at least in just my colloquial observations. Those sound like blind dates. They're setting up blind dates. Yeah, basically blind dates. Yeah. But that's different than saying you're marrying this person now. You're you're right. It's, it's arranged marriage opportunities. You know, like where where they're setting up blind dates with somebody who's marriage minded. But you're right. It's not like they're just saying, hey, go meet your husband. And also in most uh, arranged marriages, the person has the option to not marry. It's not like the parents go, you have to marry this person. Like they pick someone and then they get to know them. And then if they don't want to, they do get the, the oh. final say. Yeah. But I think a lot of not all the time, obviously, in certain cultures, that's not I think, the case, I think, I think a lot of cultures. But- they can just say no, but then the parents are like, don't do this. Like, we've, mm-hmm. we've worked hard at this. Cultural so pressure. So there, there, there's pressure for sure. Right. That makes but, sense. It, but it used to be with arranged marriages where, like, the dad would go to the dad of the, the daughter and be like, 
how much money do I get? We're doing this. Yeah, dowries. <laughs> yeah. Dowries and land grants yeah. and things like that. That's why a lot of the royal families were doing it all. You 100%. Know? Well, one of the things that I notice in that conversation about arranged marriage is that both parties are going into it with the understanding that they are dating for marriage. Mm-hmm. It's something we don't have anymore. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. That's it, a good point. It, yeah. And not only dating for marriage, right, but giving up this idea that there is a quote-unquote soulmate. I think it's a, mm-hmm. a really toxic and destructive idea that there's going to be someone who will come along and you'll just have an effortlessly good relationship. That's not going to be true about friendships or relationships, like any kind of no relationship that you have. And so it makes sense that in our culture, we would think that because, as you mentioned, we're all about instant gratification. So, yes, of course, I'm going to meet someone who just, like, bends to my will and everything, which people don't admit. But that's kind of what they say when they want a soulmate. I want I want someone who isn't going to require that I change anything about myself or give anything to and who is just, like, effortlessly pleasurable to be with. I noticed an uptick in video games where you can get married in the video game. Hmm. That started, like, in 2008 oh, or 6. Oh, dude. Let's, let's, let's pull up the story, bro. This is weird stuff. Check out oh, the story oh, from The weird, Guardian. Yep. Tamagotchi kids, could the future of parenthood be having virtual children in the metaverse? No, no. We're doomed! I don't know. I just, part of me is like, we can talk about the future and the dark future and the bright future, and we can be like, you know, I wonder what people would experience. But I'm telling you, when you get to the point where you're just not having kids and you're making robo babies Mm. and they're just like digital video game babies, alright, that's it. I don't know, man. Yeah, a country that's below the replacement rate probably does not need this. No. It, there's there's a game coming out called Stray, I think it is. Yeah, have you heard of it? Yeah, a cat. No. He plays a cat. Yeah, but all humans are dead. Mm. Like, okay. yeah. You have robots around. There's robots everywhere. Yeah. Every, it's because, like, humans built robots and then the humans died off and now there's robots living everywhere, Cat-y I think. friends robots. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, that kind of feels like where we're going. You know, uh, they're, 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 they're building AI that's getting better and, and stronger and faster. And it just really feels like the future is going to be AI entities. One of the problems with this, and you brought up, Seamus, which made me think about it, is that there's no resistance, or maybe not no resistance, but the lack of resistance with digital relationships, video game characters that are your wife in the game or your child in the game. They don't push back. Like, they don't come in and tell you what they feel. They don't, not really. And no, no one would really, I don't think anyone would want to play a game where, where that's the case, because you got a real life to contend with. Um, but it's definitely training people to expect that in real life. I think... People do like video games that offer them adversity, but slightly less resistance. Mm-hmm. So we play video games for that dopamine release. People will will take up these Tamagotchi babies in the metaverse, and it will be just a, a easy enough to where you feel rewarded, but you don't have to do as much work. You don't have to smell it. That's right. <laughs> That's a big part yeah. of it. Well, depending yeah. on if they plug your brain in yeah. with Neuralink, you'll wow. smell it all day. Ugh. What if they made you wake up in the middle of the night eight times to feed this thing? <laughs> to, feed <your> <laughs> <laughs> to, to feed this thing. Yeah. I'm not a dad yet. Yeah, Horrible. Maybe, maybe no, I'm talking what? about the robo baby. Uh, I have to tell you, like waking up to feed my beautiful baby. Uh-huh. I mean, this, we were talking about this even before. Just, I actually said the smell. I said, but, 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 it, but it won't have the smell. Like I, I need to sniff his hair, my little baby. You know, uh-huh. I just there's, I, 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 I don't understand like why. Why people would, you know, want this. But I mean, I, one thing that comes to mind for me also is, um, that there's been a, a, a decrease in people's sense of self, right? A lot of people have been coming to therapy, you know, saying like that they don't have as much of a sense of self. And a psychologist have thought about it in terms of, you know, the, 
the decline of the family or decline of religion or, you know, social roles kind of, you know, breaking down. And a lot of people just don't have what they, they feel is like a, a, a sense of self. And so I wonder if on some level, you know, these virtual relationships and, you know, they're, they're seeking somebody else to, to kind of provide that for them. I don't, I don't know, but I definitely don't want a virtual baby. I want to smell mine. I want to real one. Mm-hmm. see him in the yeah. middle of the night. Everything. Just, just imagine <laughs> what it will be like when, People have like a 16-year-old virtual AI life form, and the AI is advanced to the point where it's almost indistinguishable or completely from a real person. And then people are like, it's a video game, so they don't really care. And then this, the, the AI is begging, don't, don't leave me, mom, no, oh my I'm gosh. real. <laughs> or, or like hold on. artificial intelligence, the Spielberg film. Mm-hmm. Well, hold on, check this mm-hmm. out. Right, right. What's going to happen is... These AI babies are going to grow up and they're going to be 30 years old. And then the millennial cat lady is going to be like, I bought you a body. And they're going to download the AI into uh-huh. the body. And he's going to be like, I'm a real boy. This is horrifying. They'll run for office. They'll run for office. I think it's funny that that's yeah. what you think is the scariest part. That's They'll be politicians. I mean, yes. Or journalists. I wonder if someone's going to hack it and then have their digital... 20 year old have a digital baby that is the 20 year old as a baby and they're gonna be like ah and they're gonna be like clap look how fun this is to hack Man. the 30 year old AI babies are gonna have their own AI babies oh, and you're gonna horrifying. have AI grandchildren well, you're gonna have like people like who this. don't allow the AI baby to age I, this but, terrifies me because if the power geez. goes out not that we can't build persistent power structure systems like nuclear batteries and things that can never go out but if there's some sort of disruption in the electric flow that these things disappear it would make an, an insanity. Like it would have a an entire populace of insanity of people that have lost their minds, their babies, basically, and desperate and, and you, enraged. So and this, there's that show Upload, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. they can upload your consciousness, and in it, they also make AI babies. But the, the, there's laws in this in this version of the future where people who have their conscious uh, consciousness uploaded can't work because it would create labor shortages and stuff because people would never die. And you could do coding and other work in this digital reality. The crazy thing will be if we create this alternate virtual world, this metaverse with AI life forms, and then we start creating interoperability between virtual world and real world, like downloaded into a body and stuff, then civilization start to get, starts to get supplanted by fictional people. And that, then you've, you've got just terrifying scenarios where there could be like AI terror attacks where like one of these AI babies grows up and it's like, I don't care. They treat us like second class citizens, but I'm yeah. alive. And then they hack the grid and then blow up a re- real, you know, gas plant or something. Or like your AI baby just takes your credit card info and gives it to China. And yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's a virus. Happening. It's literally yeah. just a virus. But no, oh, I just, it's so sad because you can imagine like a, a woman in her fifties or sixties who regrets not having a family, like using this. The thought of it just makes me so sad. In a way, it's someone like, it's like maybe a paraplegic or someone that lost the use of their legs using a neural net to regain function. Um, maybe it could be an opportunity for people that missed the boat on on having a baby to experience. But it is a form mm, of psychosis. I think but that those the, yeah. people need to go be a good aunt or uncle mm. to, to their friends. Yeah. Ladies yeah. Amen. This, like this yeah. reminds me of like the the sex dolls thing, you know, like yes. like the the real life like realistic sex dolls things. Like I don't know, I'm just uh, the whole thing. Honestly, kind of creeps me out. Agreed. <laughs> and, well, and so Ian, you made this point, and I think it's interesting because you said, "What about the people who missed the boat and they weren't ever able to have a child?" And my response is, the purpose of having a child is not for you. 
It's not for you to get to have the experience of raising a child. The purpose of raising a child is to bring a new life into the world and, and care for it. And then the whole point of parenthood is for it to be about the child and not the parent. This totally flips that on its head. That's a good mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Tamagotchi kids. Ugh. Cringe. Oh man! In psychology, do you I guys? Think, I th- sorry, I think it was Matt Walsh. It may have been. It may have been Jesse Kelly. I think it was Matt Walsh who said, "We already have those. They're called cats." I believe that was yeah. Oh. Yeah, was yeah. that Matt? Matt. Sounds like both of them. <laughs> Either one of them. I know. Right? <laughs> right. Do you guys in the psychology? I don't know if it's industry or whatever, but like, do you work with like how AI is impacting human psychology or how internet and digital? communications are impacting? I'm sure some psychologists do, but I, I personally don't. Um, but in terms of psychology, I, I, w- I will say that, uh, to your point, Seamus, about uh, parenting being about the child, Freud, and I'm, I'm not a big fan of everything Freud ever said or did. Hmm. Thank but, goodness. <laughs> but one of, one of the things that Freud said is that uh, women only really get over their vanity through motherhood. Hmm. So to your, to your point, yeah. I mean, Having become a mom myself, I swear, it's like I, I've, I've known many women and men who have said the same thing. It's almost like you feel your heart growing bigger and bigger and bigger. Like you just can't get over how much, you know, love and care just pours out of you. Is it, isn't he Beautiful. the guy who also said that women wanted dongs? Perhaps. It's like yes, part of that's it. True. Yeah, that's true. They were envious. So that was so, that. Yeah, I just of. one little quote he had that came to mind. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> that we're like putting on trial. Like, did he not say this as <laughs> yeah, well? Like, no, 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 no. I wasn't saying it to destroy. No, no, I, I know, I know, I know. The same guy who said that thing. Uh, yeah, he had some interesting. He had some other interesting thoughts on motherhood that I won't get into. Yeah, I wonder if the mother, the mother and the baby have like a sort of entanglement, quantum entanglement between the two of them energetically like you said you felt like you were growing more as a person as this baby is also growing as a person and i found with my mom's purely anecdotal but i stay up late i'm up late at night and so she i haven't i went like a year without talking to her i didn't know she was up late just turned out that we are our sleep schedules were in line from across the country i don't know do you think that seamus uh that when when a life is created part of the souls of the parents Make that soul. Oh, Where does that question. soul come from? I don't think so, uh, from God. That's, it's, so it's interesting because this is something I sort of got into on the show. It is not like the soul does not come from the parents. It, it comes from God. That's what the Catholic the- theology uh, says. But do you think it if the soul was like the, was like latching on to a piece of matter, that mm-hmm. the parents would create a piece of matter that has a similar latching structure, that the, a similar soul would? And I'm not sure what you mean. I guess it, it supposits that the soul is l- latching onto a specific DNA structure or a specific neural, you know, geometric pattern. In my my brain, hmm. that has a unique pattern that that soul is attracted to. Well, it's, it's interesting because I, I believe that we're a body soul composite, and you know, the soul and the body are intimately tied together. And I'm not sure exactly how to answer that question. I have to to think about it. I, but I think just there is, I mean, I certainly believe there's a very beautiful and, and special relationship between uh, a mother and child that we can't really understand fully with like reference to other relationships. People will try to sort of analogize the mother-child relationship to other things, especially in, in the de- abortion debate, which we've gotten into a number of times. But it's just like there, there's something very special and unique and different about that relationship that would almost like bring harm to it to even try to describe. It's like we can't quite touch it. Yeah, I get the sense that there's something there. I just don't have any. Yeah, any you know, data. you know what I was thinking. Let me, let me, let me, let me pull this up right here. This other story. Would you give up having children to save the planet? Meet the couples who have. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I was thinking. It's like it's really funny that the people who believe the world is overpopulated are the same people who believe that you should sterilize your kids. You should mm-hmm. not have kids. You should abort your kids. You should gorge yourself until you're on the verge of death because you can be healthy at any size. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like. 
Isn't it weird that all of these weird social things they advocate for just result in less people? Hmm. Or is it just like, that's what they want? Well, also, I'm going to be honest, and I, I don't know these people, but when I hear this, it generally strikes me as a post hoc rationalization. I think people choose not to have children for lifestyle reasons, and then they'll say something like, it's for the environment because exactly. they want to feel good about themselves. I don't think, I, I don't really know anyone who like really, really wanted to have kids, but went, I can't. It's for Mother Earth. Most people I know who say that probably weren't going to have kids I or think, have many kids anyway. I think the issue is these, these young millennial women who aren't having kids are, are fem cells. Mm-hmm. You know, hmm. fem, fem, you know, female incels or whatever. I mean, I guess incel works for women as well as it does for, yeah. for men. And I think they justify it by saying they're they're choosing this lifestyle. It's like sour grapes. It's like, well, I didn't want to have a kid anyway. And it's yeah. like, maybe it just didn't work out for you. So you're, you, you retreat to the defensive position of, well, I didn't want it. So Yeah, I don't know. Because I also know some, like, attractive married millennials that are not having kids, like, and just have no desire to do it, mm-hmm. you know? Well, for sure. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that every instance of a woman yeah. not having kids is rats. And so, yeah. No, I think that there, there are probably many millennial women who it didn't work out for and then claim it was. Yeah. The problem yeah. with this not having kids to save the planet narrative is that you might choose not to have a kid, unfortunately, but you would have been a phenomenal parent. And that kid could have grown up and made groundbreaking technology that could have made the world so much better. And then you could be a terrible parent that has 10 kids or one kid that ends up being a deviant and, and a hostile individual. So... It really doesn't matter how many. It matters the quality. How many does matter, but not as much as the mm. quality of what exists. Yeah, but you, if you have like 50 babies, you're bound to have one good one, right? <laughs> good ones, yeah. Odds are, I guess. I, I don't it's know. an interesting point about the like, it's almost like a rationalization that you're talking about, you know, where if suppose that you, you know, didn't want to have kids because you didn't want to um give up that much of yourself and of your time and you know then you would think like okay well does that make me selfish and then you would invert it by saying no no I'm not selfish at all I'm actually doing the world That's a right. big favor you know <laughs> yeah. I'm just actually you know being so nurturing here of the world by not having kids you know so I, I don't know I mean unfortunately I think that that may be true for some of them but I honestly think it's unfortunately that there actually might genuinely be women that would normally have just wanted to have kids but they just can get brainwashed by the idea mm. that you know the world is a terrible place or you know that that the world cannot support those children and that makes me really sad yeah. well let's take it to the yeah. dark place i suppose <laughs> if you advocate for abortion you're less likely to have offspring True. if you sterilize True. your kids you're less likely to have your genes persist beyond them if you gorge yourself and you're very very unhealthy you're also less likely to have kids you're going to be unhealthy You'll die and earlier. your genes will be removed from the Future, future gene pool. I went through from age 28 to 38, 24. I'm not having kids. I'm not bringing a kid into this hellhole, this mm-hmm. earth that's just falling apart. No, no way. And it was, I started off saying it almost like a joke and then I immediately started believing it. I noticed people around me started saying it. And only in the last three or four years have I re- regained a will to live and a kind of a, a, a f- having faith that we can make it better. As hard as it is and as dangerous and as destructive as things can be, we can make it better. And so I'm much more open to the idea. Yeah. No, that's a very good point because I think it says a lot about the state of a person Mm -hmm. based on what they believe. It says a lot less about the world and a lot more about the person. Yes, I'd given up on reality. I was black-pilled. I I got way too much information on the Internet in 2006 about the military-industrial complex, Monsanto, the pharmaceutical companies, all the the lies – the media lies and I was like well I mean how could we ever dig out of this we're buried like- you know for, for, for me I actually 
I felt similar. I was like, you can't have kids because the, 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 the climate and everything was bad until I got on the internet and started uh, diving into the deep rabbit holes of YouTube. And then I realized because the earth is flat and actually on the back of a oh, turtle, that's right. all of the climate change stuff doesn't matter. You yeah, should have as many like kids as you can. Yeah. Kids like I like turtles. turtles. <laughs> when I was 17, I actually... I actually begged a doctor to give me a hysterectomy I when I was Whoa. 17. I've heard you a number too. of people yeah, say similar things. I, yeah. I, I would love to hear why you did it. I did it because I was convinced that I never wanted to have, you know, children. I was just like, I don't want to have to mess with birth control my whole life. Like, just give me a hysterectomy. Wow. And I am so thankful mm. that the doctor refused. So I didn't want a hysterectomy, but I wanted my tubes tied when I was like 20 and the doctor was like you are too young and I was like you're insane I know exactly what I want what are you talking about and now of course I'm like oh I'm 30 holy crap I'd really like to have kids let's go thank goodness that that doctor didn't yes. enable me wow. and now I look at yes. these doctors giving like you know puberty blockers to kids I'm like holy crap it's I know. so bad I it's know. bad they're just like you're too young and I was like yeah you know what I was I had five siblings, and I was like, I feel like I've raised enough kids for my life. Mm-hmm. I'm good on that one. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, yeah, I feel like it's really important, and these hard times are going to make strong people. So well, so, like so, so what changed for you? You know, I mean, I was only 17. That's you know right. what I yeah, mean? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, what, what changed is, I mean, my, my executive lobe matured, right? <laughs> you know, like, which, you know, doesn't have, you're the executive lobe of your brain, like, which doesn't finish growing until you're like 25, you know? I was also in a very difficult place in my life. I, I had a kind of a crazy childhood and everything. I just don't think I had a good template in my mind, you know, mm-hmm. for, for what that would look like. And then, you know, just through, maturing and discovering that I could have good relationships and that seeing happy families and realizing that family life could be a lot of fun. It, it wasn't that big of a leap for me to be like, Oh yes, motherhood. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful that the doctor was actually concerned with you and your long-term interests rather than simply validating the choice you said you wanted to make at the time. I think it's very sad that as a society, affirmative care, affirmative care exactly. Mm-hmm. We put so much emphasis on what a person says that they want in any particular moment that we don't even stop to think about their long-term well-being. And also if someone at 17 says, I never, ever want to have children, not because I want to do X, Y, and Z, or I don't think I'm called to marriage, but I just don't want to bring life into this world. I think that's serious cause for concern for someone to say, like, hey, what's going on? Like, why do you feel that way? A person is revealing that that there is, as you mentioned, some kind of difficulty there that you were struggling with. And a, a person should care when they hear that and want to help intervene to lift the person, not give them surgeries. Take a look at this opening paragraph from this article. They say, Gwen McKellen was 26 when she decided to get sterilized. It took the recycling consultant five years to find the appropriate doctor under the public health plan she was on, but she was determined. You know, my only response is, if you are predisposed to sterilizing yourself, well, then it's a self-solving problem for everyone else, right? I'm I'm, I'm not saying to be mean. It's like, if you don't want to have kids, your ideas die with you. But here's the thing. I mean, even people with bad ideas can have good children, and we are literally below replacement right now. So it's actually bad for all of us when people have kids. Okay, Seamus, have four kids. I think I'm going to. That's my best. I want want to have as as many as possible once I'm married. Yeah. I think, look, if... I'm talking about, I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking Not I'm gonna be married to one Irish. woman. I think I'm gonna be married to one woman. So this is interesting. <laughs> I don't, do you know what Irish twins are? No, yes. I, am I, an I Irish I'm, twin. I'm, yes, no, <laughs> absolutely. I, I, get, I very much know an Irish twin. You know what I heard? I want to double check on this. Um, feel free to fact check this, but I heard that part of why it, it's generally the, the stereotype that Irish people have many children. It's not just because, you know, we're Irish Catholics. It's because 
women are they're less likely to conceive when they're breastfeeding but for whatever reason irish women tend to be more likely to have a mutation where they still will conceive even while they are breastfeeding which is why you have irish twins and irish triplets and irish babies who are born one after another so for those that aren't familiar irish twins is basically (laughs) when the woman gets conceives it gets pregnant almost immediately after she That's gives birth correct. so you actually have siblings who are not a year older than each other yeah i was 13 months younger than my older sister so my parents were not messing around not quite irish not twins. quite very close yeah but, very close uh, but it's like you'll you'll have two kids and they're it's like how old are you i'm 10 and you 10 oh you're twins well nope. we're nine months 10 months apart it's like oh interesting not a year apart are there is there data Explaining why? No, well, this is, the, and this is also why I said fact. This is something I heard recently that I found interesting, and that's why I'm issuing the caveat to fact check this. I just thought it was a very interesting theory. You know what we should do? Because we but should, it is a phenomenon, right? Like, we, people constantly say, well, when you breastfeed, you will not get pregnant. But I know, I actually know a number of, like, women who do have Irish twins who are Irish. Like, it's fascinating in that we call them Irish twins. I find that really interesting. We should do exponential tax credits, uh, child tax credits. Yeah, like, hmm. so, like, the first kid is as X, the second kid is X plus Y. The third, you know, third kid is X plus Y mm-hmm. squared or whatever. The I think prob- Iceland did that. The oh, Hungary Iceland did it. Mm-hmm. Hungary, did Hungary. The problem Hungary, is having yeah. kids that you don't take care of just for money. Because it's not parent, for money; a it's bad, a tax credit. You're not getting money; you're paying less in taxes. But like a bad parent, or when I, that's vague, but like a parent that's that's vacant, that's off working, and has like five kids, and they don't Absolute instruct parent. them on what's yeah. good, and then the kids grow up and become villains. You know, that's a problem. I don't want to insu- encourage that. But we're not giving you money; it's a tax credit. So you're keeping more of the money you earn. I just don't know if more is better. It de- it's the quality of, of the unit. If you have more than one child, you need that money. You need a tax credit. You need to keep more of the money that you earn. In fact, they know that one of the problems that children face when they're in a large family is that their parents aren't able to earn quite as much. This is one of the reasons I wrote about this. This is why dementia is higher in parents who have more than three children. Because it's much more stressful to be able to work enough to give, for example, Mm. six children, like we're in my family, to be able to give them a stable home. And I still, to this day, don't understand how I was a single my family was a single income home. My mother was a stay at home mother and I had five siblings. It's incredible to me. Like you cannot duplicate that in this day and age. You guys did a lot of sustainability, right? At the house? No, no. We did have five acres and we had cows and chickens and goats and stuff, but we weren't like a green family. We just, um, were like culturally sound. We went to church. We followed traditional values. We were homeschooled and my mother stayed at home. It was very interesting. Let's go to Super Chats. If you have not already, would you kindly smash that like button, subscribe to this channel, share the show with your friends, become a member at TimCast.com. If you want to support the work we are doing, you'll get access to those exclusive members-only shows we do Monday through Thursday. But now we're going to read your Super Chats, so smash that like button, get your Super Chats in. Let's see what y'all got to say. All right. Legamathigayan says... Young Democrat male feminists losing support for feminism is a depressing reflection of the times. The supply chain issues have made getting Rahipnol difficult for them, and suddenly they want trad wives and gender roles. Yikes. <laughs> maybe so. Yeah, maybe. The the mind-altering chemicals courtesy of China aren't coming in, huh? Mm. All right. John Kirsten says, Tim, the whole double standard and self-censorship ideas you talk about is Herbert Marcuse's idea of repressive tolerance. Oh, yes. We, we, uh, we talked about that a little bit before the show. 
Do you want to ex- explain? Yeah, yeah. So I was uh, listening to the conversations that you guys had a uh, couple nights ago about um, why, you know, maybe just saying that there's a double standard in the press, like Tim was saying, like, I'm just sick of saying it. Like, can we just stop because we're just saying it and it's stupid to just keep saying it? And I was saying that in an abusive relationship, it's actually really important to keep naming and describing and saying what the abuse is mm-hmm. because otherwise we actually can go into denial about it or we can start normalizing it and so even if we feel powerless to fight it which tim was um telling me as well that what he wants is for people to not just you know quit talking about it but for people to start doing something about it which i think is great um but i was saying like even if you don't feel like you're ready to do something about it you should i think not you know quit talking about it because when we quit talking about something then we lose touch with the reality of that thing and we need to stay focused on it so actually with my book nervous energy harness the power of your anxiety, the whole idea there is that you take that awareness when you sense an injustice and that something is wrong or you're having an emotion about it and you use that emotion to fuel behavior to make a change. So when you're like getting upset that there's this double standard, you would then say to yourself like, okay, well, what are five things that I can do to, you know, fight this double standard? And Tim was talking about his parallel economy idea, which I think is very intriguing. Yeah. You know, so we were talking and I, and I said, what's the point of telling everyone over and over again, there's a double standard we can all plainly see and experience. And the solution is, well, we should be investing in utilizing alternate infrastructures, alternative infrastructures. So when big tech doesn't ban Antifa, but they do ban some random guys that learned to code, we need to start just saying, we get it. We're in, a, we're in an abusive relationship and it's time to leave. So we'll make our own platforms. And that's what's happening. That's why we're using Rumble cloud infrastructure for the website. We use Rumble for our members only section, and we've got some other things in the works uh, that I that you know I, I I frequently mention. We can't talk about until we do it for security reasons, but we've got stuff we're working on. That's really interesting about speaking up about injustice and continuing to, because in some countries you'd be killed for speaking up, and we have the First Amendment, and that's like a form of exercising that and like a duty to continue to exercise that. Right, which is, I have to say, my next blog is going to be about the mental health benefits of free speech. So Ooh. if anybody oh, wants to get like that, that blog sent to them, you can go to makeachange.us, makeachange.us, and give me your email, and I will send you my blog when it comes out on mental health benefits right. of free speech. We got a super chat here. I am honored. It's from Joe Biden. Oh, my. And it says, Seamus's hair looks like it smells good. <laughs> oh, no. Come on, man. Oh, look at Well, you know, that's old Joe, huh? That's old Joe. Always mm. But is there, I mean, it's, it's not a high compliment. Is there anyone whose hair he doesn't think looks like it smells good? Well, that's a good point. Yeah. He'd be smelling Let me smell that hair, man. Come on, man. What are you doing, man? <laughs> Raymond G. Stanley Jr. says, watched What is a Woman? So good, yet so sad, too. Seamus made a funny joke about uh, about it. Oh, yeah. I was like, the, oh, Ian mentioned he was watching it before the show. I was like, bro, you're not going to believe the plot twist. Like, when they find out what a woman is, I was like, oh, my gosh. The twist at the end is it's amazing. Tra- it turns out Matt Walsh, Matt Walsh is a woman. Yeah, it turns, yeah. Out Matt, <laughs> turns out Matt Walsh is like, I guess I'm a woman. Was like, he was a woman the whole time? Yeah. No, prop, it's actually, really props the, the, to him. It, was, uh, it really was very good. The whole movie is just about his gender transition? Yeah. What is a woman? <laughs> he's like, just slowly <laughs> looks more twist. and more like a woman throughout the film. Yeah, and so at the end, he's like, I'm a woman. <laughs> there are funny bits in there though you gotta see it yeah he's like is my son my daughter <laughs> I don't want to spoil it though so it is really good alright Ola says Luke where are you I have questions about Steven Banderas and Poland Poland and Ukraine how connected are they i.e. is it better to be a Nazi just to oppose Russia P.S. What is Woman was great Luke I think is gonna be here 
tomorrow. Solid. Yeah. I don't All know. Right. We're talking we'll about see. the Azov. Good question. Yep. That's and right. no, I don't think it's better to be a Nazi. To do, well, there, there's a I funny don't. meme, and it says, "You never ask a man his salary. salary you never ask a woman her age, and you never ask the Azov Battalion what this symbol means." And it's the black sun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Flo says, "Any misogynistic, transphobic speech and coded rhetoric espoused here will be monitored and recorded." You should learn to tone down your views. Believe women. Trans lives matter. We're building a better world. You can't stop us. Simply accept it. Thank you for the $50. Good, sir. Mm-hmm. Eyes keen. Correction, Shimcast. A word can mean whatever you want it to mean, except what it actually means. Oh, my gosh. I that's a very good. That's actually very true. Joe Biden back with another super chat. He says, anyone seen my nurse? My pony orange fell off my Jupiter chair and the grilled cheese people attacked the saloon. Come on, man. Not the grilled cheese people. The grilled cheese. Is that something he said? That sounds great. I I look no malarkey there. No malarkey. (laughs) No malarkey. What were they thinking with that slogan? No malarkey. There was a, there was like, he's really old. So let's, let's roll with it. There was, um, one, one of the few funny, more recent Onion articles was like Joe Biden appeals to 1930s tough guys with his new slogan, no malarkey. Yeah, right. <laughs> a side of salt says, for what is an assault weapon? Get in touch with Langley Outdoors Academy, Reno May, Guns and Gadgets, and the Firearms Policy Coalition. They'd be great resources. I'm really excited for this one to do like a deep dive on the history of the Second Amendment. You do like an intro on like what the founding fathers actually uh, expected and, and what they meant. And you can take a look at, I mean, there's quotes from the founding fathers where they're like, the government may become tyrannical. You better give everyone guns. Yeah. Well, it's not just guns. Arms also include armor. Ah, yes. Yeah. Armament. It included cannons and privateers and all of that crazy stuff. You know, I loved what Carrie Sheffield said on your show also a couple days ago when she talked about how guns for women actually are the great equalizer. They that they, they, they give us a, an extra layer of protection that helps us a lot. There's a viral video out of Brazil right. where a guy walks up to a group of women and tries robbing them, and then a woman just pulls out her gun. That is a powerful Woo! video. You've That's seen it. In broad daylight, yeah. Yep. That's There's nice. so many videos from Brazil like that. But, yeah, man, women, women, women don't have to be worried when they're packing. That's right. And the well, men I mean, don't have to be worried not. about the women when they're packing. Cause they're, yeah, exactly. They're defend, yeah. I mean, you still have to be a little worried. You still have to worry for others. But mm-hmm. for the most part, I worry substantially less. Mm-hmm. It's like you're going out. Stay out of dark alleys. Oh, you're armed? Well, you know, stay out of them anyway. <laughs> but Even I'm your odds Go hang out in the dark alley. You're <laughs> fine. <laughs> you got this. Your aim is good. John Kirsten says, Ian was rare form last night. Double mopping yeah. and the I, I elongated myself, <laughs> adding an inch and a half, had me dying. Ian never <laughs> The double mopping thing was. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was trying to. What time stamp was that? And I wanted to watch that. Yeah, I don't know. I felt like I embodied the double mopper. That's right. Like really pushing the mops, you know? <laughs> sure. All right. All right. That was all Tyler last night. That was great. That's hilarious. So good. T. Craft says, due to this wave of feminism, my son, 17 years old, has stated that he isn't getting married and saving the money to have a surrogate to become a single dad. Oof. Oh, wow. That's so yeah. Nah, kids need moms and dads, yo. Well, and look, I mean, like, when you were 17, you wanted a hysterectomy. Don't assume, I mean, don't assume that this is how he's always going to feel. True. Yeah. That's right. Maybe he'll save up that money and he'll end up buying an engagement ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. you, you got to do the, the handy, handyman. Oh, man, no, 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 don't spoil it. We're oh, working okay. on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've yeah, noticed yeah, when people yeah, say, yeah. I'm never going to blank, it, that's usually not real. <laughs> it's true, <laughs> right? Because how could you know? How yeah, could you know? Well, yeah. you know, in psychology, we have something called the need-fear dilemma, which is the thing that we all, we need the most, like lonely people, like they crave companionship, but they also fear it the most as well, like the need-fear dilemma, the thing 
things we need are often the things we fear. Yeah, I agree. Strawn says the billboards are a good stick a, is are good to stick a finger to the elite news class. You need to reach everyday people. They are only reachable via word of mouth. Sponsor Timcast in the park where your show is on a projector for foot traffic. That sounds fun. Yeah, yeah, I'm down. That's great. How about this? Anybody who's watching who wants to put one on, put on one of those events. Do it. Let's do it. Yeah. And then you get one of those the, those twenty foot projector screens. How much do those things cost? It's not like it's, I'm not. Much, I don't want to say it's right? cheap, but you need a you need a good projector and a like PA. On the wall of a building. Oh yeah, you could do that too. Yeah. I but they, they can make rules. And then that. so basically, everyone in every jurisdiction for the summer can do. Uh, oh, July is MAGA month. That's right. So how about for MAGA month, you guys rent a you know space in a park to do a showing, but don't just do our show. Maybe do a screening of what is a woman. I just yeah. pulled up a 20 foot projector, 220 bucks. Boom. Okay. And not everybody can afford that, but you know, if you're interested, Crowd that'd be funded. really, really cool. Yeah. And I, and I wouldn't want to just be like promote our show. I mean, have our show, have other shows, maybe do like an all day thing where you'll play like various documentaries, yeah. films, community. Jordan Peterson. Yeah. This is the big thing. Community building. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about doing skate competitions, blading, rollerblading, scooting, bike, all that stuff. So that we can tell people, buy some of the stuff for your kids, get your kids a skateboard, get them rollerblades, get them a scooter, bring them onto the park where we're going to have burgers and hang out. Everyone gets to talk. Community building is so important. Yes. All right. King Tesseract says, so you guys watch anime occasionally? Have you watched TTGL? Seamus might like it because it's basically the gospel of St. Simon Peter written by Michael Bay on LSD. It's an anime version of the gospels. Fair warning, it was aimed at 14-year-old Japanese boys. What is TTGL? Tengen Tapa Gurren Lagan. Oh, is that it is? That's what it looks like. Is it really the gospel? Gurren Lagan. St. Simon Peter? I don't know. Curious now. Ian Kinney says, you should have Warren Thomas Farrell on the show. He initially came to prominence in the 1970s as a supporter of second wave feminism, now fights for men as a, and is the author Warren of The Boy Crosses. I, I am him. familiar. Yeah. I watched a video a long time ago where this guy was trying to go to a, um, a, 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 it was like a, a lecture on male suicides and leftists and feminists blocked the doors and this guy was trying to go and they wouldn't let him in. And they're like, why are you coming here? This guy's a, a bigot. And he's like, I want to know why my friend killed himself. Mm. And they were like, get out of here, you Nazi. And it was crazy stuff. These people are nuts, man. Sad stuff. Susiana says, after my youngest, along with male classmates, were daily forced to sit legs crossed like a girl, and the female sat with their legs spread like boys, the next semester I pulled my six boys from public school. Whoa. You know what the funniest thing about the manspreading stuff was? They were like, I just felt like a bunch of dudes outed themselves as having, having small balls or something. Because mm-hmm. I was like, dude, I don't like crossing my legs like that because it hurts my junk. I... And, Oh, and then there are these guys who are like, just sit with your legs crossed. And I'm like, men sit with their legs crossed with their ankle on their knee. Women sit with their legs crossed with knee over knee. It looks weird to me when I see a man crossing his legs like a woman. Very effeminate. Yeah. I mean, I love doing it every once in a while. You get into that like bohemian artist look where like they have a cigarette hanging out of their fingers and they're all tight and twisted. Well, yeah. Like I just said, some men are outing themselves and having but, small junk, I guess. Yeah, you got to move back and get your junk lower than your le- – like below your legs if you're going to twist and tongue. Uh, <laughs> I don't I know, see. dude. I just think it was really funny that they did an ad campaign in subways and billboards being like, no man spreading. And it was just like this idea of manspreading is not a real thing. Like there's videos of women and they're like cowering as the man's pushing his legs. They're like, I'm being so oppressed. It's like his man's legs are spread. So there was femme bagging became a thing. Yeah. Women putting their bags on the chairs. Yes. I think someone made a video of women pressing their boobs against a guy and he got really mad. He got mad. Yeah, it was a gag video. It was like, how dare you boobs mush me. (laughs) 
get those things out of here. And she's like, I can't. I'm like, they're on my chest. And he's like, yeah, but my balls are in my legs. Flo says, conservatives have for too long bragged about their socioeconomic successes, culture, and their privilege to defend their property, all at the expense of black and trans lives. It's time that we Democrats change the conversation and act. Wow, Flo, thank you for another $50. Yeah. We're, we'll more, we're more than happy to read all of those. I don't know if that's meant to be sarcastic or a joke or whatever. It's like very generic, but you know, I'll take your money to read well, it. I do need to change the conversation, not the yeah, way they want to. change the conversation, to. man. All right. What do we got here? Colin Henricks says, Me Too has taught us that consent can be revoked once regret is established. Right. Keep rocking, guys and gals. I got something from basic training back in 99 I'm going to send y'all. Cool. Sam Good says, Seamus, do you believe husband and wife are allowed to have sex for fun? Uh, well, husband and wife should be uh, having sex with one another. I don't believe that you should do anything which precludes the possibility of having a child. But it's not as if every single time people have sex, they're going to be sitting there thinking, like, we are making a child right now, and that's our... What about pulling out? Yeah. Oh, yes, we're also against that. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. I don't... Like, the Catholic Church is against it? Yeah, yeah. Because it prevents the final end of the, the sexual act, right? It's, it's for the, the purposes of unity and procreation. And so you're preventing, the, you're, you're getting the pleasure out of it without fulfilling the purpose. Mm. Raymond G. Stanley Jr. says, Tim, being called right wing is not a smear. Yes, it is. It's called poisoning the well. The idea is to create a negative interpretation of what right wing means, accuse your opponents of being that thing with a buzz term that many on the right are willing to accept. That way, when people are like, you know what, I guess I am a conservative, you've poisoned the well on behalf of the person smearing you. Then the brainwashed NPC liberals or the default liberals who hear right wing equals bad, see you say, I guess I am. And then they go, okay, you're bad then. So when they call you right wing, they're doing it to otherize you. So it's more difficult for you to reach regular people. But for people who are fine with it, you're right. You know, they don't care. Let's say Raksha Jenkins says, Ian, you are overbashed and underappreciated. I appreciate your unique and likely neurodivergent view on things. I get what it's like when you perceive weird peripheral connections between things that others don't. Yeah, I think of ideas as geometric shapes in a three-dimensional sphere that are all kind of fitting into each other like a Rubik's Cube. So when people bring up an idea that I don't understand, I still see the shape of it and how it fits into the conversation. Wandering Mage says, so we all doing MAGA month in July, right, guys? Serious point. Title IX makes dating at colleges a minefield. Keep in mind that three most common places people meet their spouses is school, work, and church. Yep. Church. July is MAGA month. Uh, Dude, we are going to be making burgers and dogs every weekend. We better make some before the show on the 4th. We got Portillo's. Yeah, we do. I think the best social media dating app is YouTube personally because if you make videos and you put yourself your real self out there people see it and then the people that you would get along with contact you and you just take it seriously i'm really excited for maga month i am too i can't do it i can't do it i feel like it's provoking it's attempting to provoke people what it's the fourth of july bro i'm celebrating that and that's that's the point but calling it it's too like republican it's too like political for me I, I, I disagree. I think we're gonna we're gonna change all of our background photos to American flags. Yes, it's Fourth of July. I'm, yeah, make America great, man. Right now, absolutely. Make America hard. great, Ian Crossland. And then that's magic. Don't you want an excuse to just it. have burgers every weekend? Yes. That's all it really is. It's like, yo, America, woo, let's get burgers. Lettuce wrap? Yeah, if we wrap it in lettuce, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I won't no do that. We'll do lettuce yeah. wrap. Yeah, Biden's going to come out uh, against MAGA month by making beef so expensive that no one can <laughs> celebrate it. Yo, 
Yeah, we got snacks for the house just now, and it was like 250 so bucks. So much money. Bean burgers. It was just like salamis and cheese, and it was insanely expensive. Yeah. Well, I remember a few years ago, we'd go to the grocery store and fill up the cart for 300 bucks. Yep. Then one day, like last year, we went to the supermarket. Cart was half full, and it was 300-something bucks. Mm-hmm. Did you see Jamie Diamond? He's the... Diamond. He's Diamond. Diamond, thank yeah. you, Jamie Diamonds. He said that storm clouds, he said that people are about to face an economic hurricane that, that is un- incomprehensible. Yeah. Yeah. It's Gas prices. Dude, the diesel shortages. Forget Gross. the price of diesel. Uh, when the trucker's like, I'd like to bring the food to your store, but I have no gas. But Jamie Diamond also said crypto is a joke, and then he bought a bunch. And then he so bought a bunch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's what I love when these, like, these progressive and these lefties are like, crypto's a scam. And I'm like, all of these big banks and institutions are buying it up while telling you it's a scam. I mean, that says something, doesn't Sucks. it? Did you not learn anything from 2008? Hmm. Come on. All right, all right. Let's get some more Super Chats in here. Okay, where are we at? Bomb Globe says, give me your fluids, women. I don't think that's an, that, that I don't think that pickup line is going to work. No, it's trade me your fluids. Try it. Try it. Just try that. <laughs> trade with me. Trade with <laughs> me. Try <laughs> trading fluids and see how Let's that trade. goes. Yeah. John Hansen says, "What are the chances of getting John Stossel on?" Oh, Ian, man. check out Rob Braxman, internet privacy guy. That's right up your alley. Uh, John Stossel is always welcome on the show. He's amazing. He is. But he's also very old. I don't he know if he can do it. Some old. I have talked to his people, and he's very busy and also yeah. very old. That's a deadly combination. He'll love that you guys are saying that about yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. That he's old. Yeah. yeah, he's going <laughs> to love it. I've, I've been on his show. He had me I out. Oh, he's awesome. awesome. Yeah, yeah, he's great. To the Moon says, have you ever had a baked potato? They're pretty sexy. <laughs> it's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, Seamus, let's say you. <laughs> what? Why does every potato thing have to be turned back to me? That's the like, funny oh, thing sorry. is you're the one who started it. No, I'm not. You yes, guys you literally are. Hey, you real got, talk. Do you prefer potatoes. sweet potato or regular potato? Oh, regular potatoes. I'm a regular potato man. Yeah. Irish propaganda. That's right. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Bro, I'm already sweet enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's true, yeah. We, we had an idea for the vlog for a bit where... Uh, it's a background gag where just like Seamus uses potatoes as currency. So it's not like directly addressed in the pizza. show. You just like, you'll see him in the background and a pizza guy will be at the door while s- you'll see someone in the, talking in the foreground in the background. <laughs> Seamus will take a pizza from the pizza guy and then hand him a potato. But then the pizza guy will take out two smaller potatoes as change and give it to him and take the big potato. I only did that once and they want it to be like a regular thing. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. You know what we can do too? Favorite, favorite pizza with potatoes once. The pizza place yeah. will be a, like Patty's Pizza. So it'll be like <laughs> yes. Irish pizza <laughs> so place. Good. First of all, I would never ever pay for food made by Irish people. That's fair. <laughs> like, are you <laughs> crazy? Uh, I, that, that's nuts, dude. Shepherd's pie is legit. Corned beef, mm. man. Every now and again. Shepherd's yeah. pie is yeah. delicious. Yeah, maybe yeah. one is so good. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I went to Ireland and I was just like, I went to a restaurant and they were like, what are you having? And I was like, oh, come on. Irish I'm an American. Duh. And they were like, pint of Guinness and a shepherd's pie. And I was like, yes, please. Thank of you. <laughs> but then I was informed that I was in Northern Ireland, so it didn't count. No, it didn't. No, yeah, <laughs> no it the didn't same. <laughs> They're like, you have to go to Dublin. Yeah. And I was like, that is, I, okay, I accept that, I guess. Although the people up there didn't, you know, they were cool with it. Martin Edgar says, my daughter said her mom told her first marriage is for love. The second is for money. Oof. Her mom and I got married in 1990 and divorced in 96. She's been married four times. Wow. No, but I think that one actually is, is a better saying. You know why? The first, time you, the, the first time is for love. It means you mean it. And at that point, if you're getting married again, you're just doing it because you're trying to exploit That's fair. it. That's mm-hmm. yeah. point. Yeah, but why would you be getting married again if your first marriage was for love? Like, why, well, why, mm. why would that marriage end? I don't understand. I think because, yeah. like, the Greeks have divided into eight different types of love. And sometimes people feel one or a few of them, but right. not... It's not holistic. Yeah. And when you find that holistic love, 
usually lasts. Yeah, but if you're going to get married for love, the whole point is like you don't want to ever have to say goodbye. Mm. So I don't know. Pedro Henrique says, Tim, I am a sucker for your takes. I'm a right-wing libertarian that would love to neighbor settlements with your socialist compound. Thank you for bringing Ian some logical sense and kudos to him to get you. Uh, West Virginia, man, that's the, this is the, this is the dream. Right. Everybody's like Texas and I'm like, nah. Although I think it's fair to say that those who are moving to Texas and Florida are fighting the good fight. Yes. You're, you're changing, you know, these are, these are, Texas is turning purple. Florida has been purple. And if you move there and you pull back, you're, you're helping secure those locations. So I can respect that. Moth Moniker says, could you have Elon Musk on Timcast and also Thunderfoot? Have them on the podcast for a couple hours. Now that, now is the time for Philip to roast Musk in front of the world. Have them at the same time together. Yeah, I wish. Thunderfoot, sure. Um, Elon. Oh, fingers crossed. Yeah. I I do want to mention though, we got Starlink. So I've been on the wait list for Starlink for like a year. Then they launched Starvink, Starvink, Starlink, Starve Inc. Star crazy. Starlink for RV. That's why I said that merged them on accident. The so the RV version is instant. We got it right away. They shipped it as soon as I ordered it. 184 megabits down, five megabits up, 82 millisecond latency. We're gonna have to figure out how to make Starlink uh, satellites out of metamaterials that are see-through, so that they're more defensible to Chinese attack. There's an article. So the, the the issue is and they with, won't clog with, up the sky. With five megabits up, we would not be able to do the show unless we dropped it down to like 480, 480p, and then we'd be streaming. I think like 700k, and that would be possible. It's an option if we're on the road and we want like so pork fest this big libertarian thing in new hampshire we're not going to be making it there but we were considering it the challenge was how do you get internet in the middle of nowhere now that we have starlink we'd be able to do a lower quality broadcast using starlink so that would be cool so we can be in the middle of a desert and do a show that's really cool yeah so i'm glad we got starlink this is exactly what i needed it for for the mobile studio and uh, it's good to have, just as, as, as an alternative. I mean, we could go to the desert on the, the, the van, open up the side of the van, flash lights on us sitting in the desert, and record us like with the desert in the background. Yes. That'd, that'd be, be great. Awesome. Yeah. I want to do a show. like We could play a live show like that, too. That'd be fun, yeah. Words Are Power says, have y'all heard of a, quote, girlfriend experience? It's something that sex workers offer to mimic a relationship with a person for a set period of time. I think it's terrible that people are only getting cheap imitations of the real thing. I'm sure it ain't cheap. Probably costs a lot of money. Yeah. But no, but, totally agreed. Very sad. But, you know, people, the funny thing is you assume it's going to be like snuggling and having breakfast when in reality it's like yelling at you about <laughs> leaving your shirt on the floor again. It's I know. like you kicked your shoes off and you threw your socks on the floor. I swear, like, you know, throughout throughout my house there are socks just everywhere. I believe it. Because I'll take my socks <laughs> off and just throw them. I think there's like a pair of They're shoes everywhere. and socks underneath There's shoes the up here, I know. That's hilarious. No, no, no I, I was thinking the exact same thing. Like, wouldn't it be hilarious if it was just like you're fighting all the time? And like, I looked around my room and there's clothes laying everywhere. I was like, I'm starting to look like Tim's house. Remedy this, Ian. <laughs> no, my house actually looks like clean because, you know, it was, it was funny the other day I brought up, uh, so Allison is my girlfriend and she was mountain biking and so I ate bacon dipped in cheese sauce nice. for dinner. And then I mentioned that and she started laughing her ass off. Cause like when she's around, I have like grilled chicken breast with fresh vegetables. And then when she's not, I just dip bacon and cheese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that sounds like a really typical man thing to do. It's like, well, I can't cook. So you can cook. I, You're a great I, cook. I, yeah, but I don't have time. And so I'm just like, I, dipping bacon and cheese is really good. It's keto, but it was delicious. 
And I made the cheese sauce. Oh, okay. I made it the previous night. It was, uh, you know, because I know how to make cheese sauce. We just melt cheese? So cheese, cream, and then uh, a little cornstarch to thicken it up and get a nice, you know, queso going. But it was a couple different kinds of cheese. Garlic. It's a little spice in it. A little spice. Like fresh garlic in there? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, nice. yeah. I'm getting hungry. Yeah, that sounds, sounds good. Delicious. It was really good. <laughs> and then the next day, down. I'm looking in the fridge, and there's, like, raw chicken breast. And I'm like, well, I'm not cooking that. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't even know where to begin. And there's like peppers and vegetables and broccoli. And then I just grabbed the cheese sauce, microwaved it. And then we have this prepackaged bacon that Libby oh, Evans yeah. swears by. She's like, this is so good. And then I just peeled it open and was like dipping it in the cheese. I was, I was looking for chips to have just chips and, not, and I didn't have any. So I was like, all right, I guess I'll just dip bacon in this. You ever make potato chips? That's pretty fun. Yeah. Just slice yeah, up yeah, yeah. and bacon. fry them up. Oh, you can fry them too. Yeah. And you can bake tortilla, tortilla chips too. That's a, that's a lot of fun. All right. Where were we? Um, all right. Nate Garland says, my wife and I met and dated in high school and then got married at 21, both 31 now. We're both sinners saved by grace. So we understand we will fail each other 10 years and three kids later. Praise God. Hmm. Hey, there you go. Good for you. God bless you. Shamim Islam says, language is the culprit. Marriage is the real relationship. Relationships before marriage are now an excuse to have sex, resulting in perverse instant instantation. What is it? Instant instantiation. Instantiation. Love that word, man. Which then has to be resolved via divorce. Sex goggles are real. Mm. I believe that having kids is more of a commitment than marriage. Do you, what? what do you, am I off on that? But like, the, or, there, there's there's reasons for marriage that it, and it greatly involves children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, 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 I hear that. I, I think. Well, I think people. Well, it's funny because on the one hand, I have met people. Like, I knew someone who had a kid with someone, and I was like, "Oh, when you guys get married?" He's like, "No, it's too much of a commitment." I was like, "You have a child with it. Like that? <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, you have brought a human into the world with this person." Yeah. So people, yeah, but I, I do believe, uh, I do believe, marriage is a very, very uh, serious commitment as well. People do need to take it extremely seriously. It's till death. It's till death do you part. And you know, you're going to be with that person till death. You have to care. Like, you have a responsibility to your children, right? But, you know, your children can sort of move away and go other places. Like, you are going to be with that spouse forever if you're doing it right. Gaming with Spoon says, just wanted to say thank you, Tim. Finally caved and watched Star Trek because you wouldn't stop talking about it and absolutely loving it. Keep on fighting the fight, you guys. Give me hope that we can get through. Star Trek The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine. Yo, Deep Space Nine, man. In the Pale Moonlight, the episode where I'm going to spoil it because it's just amazing and you got to watch it. Where they basically, the Federation stages a false flag attack to force one of their adversaries into a war on their side. Brutal. What a, what a great show. Next Generation's legit. All the new Star Trek stuff is just like, ugh. I'll give, I'll, I'll, I'll try watching the new one. I know what's called, what's called Strange New World or something. Meh. Meh. Prequels, come on. Give me an advanced, oh, you, you, bring sucks. the story, come on. Alright. Skater Owned Solution says, Tim, how can we get the Timcast boards previously mentioned? Want to have them to give away at a contest we are doing? Uh, send your address to spintheufo at gmail.com, yes. and we will have some step on snack and find out skateboards sent to you. And if you would be so kind, title it very clearly what you're emailing about. Tell me you're asking for step on skateboards. Uh, not only that, here's I'll tell you what I'll tell you what else we'll do. If you have a skate shop. And you want some free boards to sell or give away or do whatever, uh, send us your info. We, we've sent Skate Shop's TimCast skateboards before. We have two art graphics. One just says TimCast on it, and one says Step on Snack and Find Out. So we'll send you a lot. 
I think we sent like 50 to a shop and it's free. Like we'll give them to you for us. It's marketing for you. You can sell it and make money and support your shop. So I think it's a really, really good idea. Like the idea that we're going to have a bunch of young people with like boards that rep, you know, the show and the website, the skate shops basically are getting a donation that allows them to make money to keep going. Uh, and not only that, the, with the boards we send to you, you can sell them for whatever you want. So that means if you've got kids who are like, I can't afford a board, it's no sweat off your back to be like, take this one for free, dude. Keep skating. So that's what we hope to do. That's really, I'm really excited about that. All right. Let's see. We'll grab one more. Jill Please says, I'm a mother of four. I have a good friend who will never have children due to mental health reasons. She is an aunt to my children, and that is enough for her. Well, I respect that. That's cool. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody. If you haven't already, please smash that like button. Subscribe to this channel. Share the show with your friends if you really do like it. And head over to TimCast.com. Sign up to become a member. On the top right of the screen, you'll see it. Help support our work directly so that we can keep hiring people. We can do more shows. We can make more shows. And you can follow the show at TimCastIRL on Instagram and basically anywhere else. But follow us on Instagram. We have clips every day. You can follow me at TimCast. Dr. Chloe, do you want to shout anything out? Yeah, makeachange.us. And makeachange.us is where you can get information on my socials and my blog on the mental health benefits of free speech and my book, Nervous Energy, Harness the Power of Your Anxiety, and my other book, Dr. Chloe's Ten Commandments of Dating. Very cool. Fantastic. Seamus Coughlin, freedomtunes.com, ladies and gentlemen. We just launched a membership portion for five bucks a month. You get an extra animated video every week. We're also going to be uploading behind the scenes stuff, such as Tim and I improving some of the videos we've improved together. Really cool stuff. Uh, I really hope you enjoy it, and we're going to start uploads to that next week. There's already five videos, uh, five cartoons there waiting, and a bunch of other videos. So thank you very much, and have a great weekend. We're about to wrap. We're not doing an after show. I had a burning question about your book. What's the simplest way in, in a elevator pitch style to to convert or redirect your nervous energy mm-hmm. so when you feel yourself feeling anxious you just ask yourself what could be the healthy action that this anxiety is trying to stimulate me to take because the healthy function of anxiety is to stimulate preparation behaviors mm. so when you feel anxious you say to yourself well what could i do right now that would help to improve my current or future situation but awesome. I, I go into a lot more detail in the book. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Fallmediancrossland.net. If you want, I'll catch you later. This book sounds awesome. I'm really looking forward to reading it. And I hope that you're willing to leave a copy or two for us, for sure. I feel like anxiety is something that's not addressed enough. It's something left over from when we were evolving to keep us on our toes and keep us from being eaten, which is a very useful strategy when there are saber-toothed tigers around, but not so much when we're like living and working in cubicles and stuff. Anyway, I'm looking forward to reading it. Thank you very much for joining us. You guys may follow me on Twitter and Minds.com at Sarah as well as sarahpatchlets.me. Check out chickencitylive.com if you would like to watch our Chicken City as they do chicken stuff. Like sleep. And you can, like sleep right now. <laughs> and you can give, right, right now we have the chicken lullaby set up. So every $100 in Super Chats after 8 p.m., it plays a very soothing lullaby for the chickens. We researched this. Chickens like classical music, so we did Brahms Lullaby with strings and everything. Uh, Check it out. It's a lot of fun to just watch. But people go there, hang out, and and chat, so they keep the chat going. Thanks for hanging out, everybody. We will be back next week. We'll see you all then. Bye, guys.